check, check. One, two, three. All right. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. Karate Chops and excellence to all who have tuned in. Thanks for clicking the link. This is Inside the Mind's Eye. This is the uh, the podcast where we explore the thoughts, ideas, and emotions of those who have pursued a dream, who are pursuing a dream, or who want to make sense of what their dream could be. Uh, we also we also dive into the innermost reaches of our outermost selves here on Inside the Mind's Eye. It's all mental. It's all emotional. Mind, heart, body. Three things. Unity is what we want. We want unity between the mind, the body, and the heart. The soul space is what, what we hope to, to, to center into. And I'm super stoked about this episode today because we have... Uh, we have the Mac attack himself on Keaton Mac, and his story is crazy. Was that too many cuz? There's too many cuckoos in that crazy. Uh, you know, sometimes I find myself I have too much fun with this stuff. I li- I like I like talking to myself, and this is the other thing. I, and before we get into the show, by the way, it's a crazy, it's a crazy show, because he takes us from. I was just super fascinated. Just to give some background before we go in, it's the longest podcast I've ever done. It's Joe Rogan style. It's almost three hours. It's two and a half hours, I think. And I just I had to I had to get him to walk me through that the the process of going from just a just a rando white dude in East Cobb, just a kid, a white kid in East Cobb, dabbling in, in a little a little dope you know selling grams and quarters and you know i wanted to know how you go from just slanging some some weed some some mexican middies <laughs> it, it took me back to my days back in the day in high school but how do you when when skinny Vinny used to cruise through with five dollar sacks like <laughs> shouts out the vin if you're out there dude but how do you go from selling five dollar sacks of weed to trafficking pounds and millions of dollars worth of product for a cartel like how does that happen what is the what's that experience like what is it you know i didn't know you see it in movies you see it, you read it in books you listen to it and I, I just i don't know i'd be scared i'd be scared a lot of the time i wouldn't know what i was doing and i wanted to you know keaton really broke it down he took he took us through you know what it was like when he first got his you know when he first realized he could make some money to ending up with eight, nine federal FBI cars pulling him over state lines with millions of dollars worth of worth of drugs in the backseat of his car. So we go, we're going to get the whole story here, how that how that happens and how he experienced it. And uh, whew, yeah, he ended up spending some time in prison. We, 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 <laughs> we dive into that a little bit. There's a, a he, he tried to escape. <laughs> Yeah, he tried to escape. There's that's a good part. Uh, now I don't want to give anything else away. It's an excellent conversation. Um, but yeah, so we're gonna dive into that. You know, I was gonna do a little meandering, talk about myself a little bit, maybe explore my inner reaches of my outermost self. <laughs> but I, uh, I think we're good. I think we should just go into this conversation. I don't think I have much to say. I literally spent all day not talking. Like, what is it? What is it right now? 7.44. I'm looking at my clock right here. It's 7.44. I didn't speak a word to another human being until about an hour ago. I literally spent all day just sitting around the house. I was outside. I looked at, 
I looked at stuff. I read some stuff. I read, oh, got these books in the mail. I got the Alan Watts, the book. Got the Zen and the Art of Writing with Ray Bradbury. And, uh, you know, the, the constant, uh, the other ones are outside. But, yeah, so I was reading some Alan Watts and just basically meandering today. That was my day-to-day, you know. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really... Well, now that we're on it, and it gets to, hey, hey, this gets, all right, we're on it. So I wasn't feeling up to doing anything today, and I'm on this new wavelength, this new mind frame. I want to seek to understand and embody truth, okay? So I don't want to be anything other than myself, and I've got all these things in my brain, all these things I feel like I need to do or should do when my body is out of alignment with what my mind thinks it needs to do. Um, so, so the mission today was not the mission, but the experience today was to be okay with that. Be aware that there's nowhere to go. There's nothing that needs to be done. There's nothing we have to do. And it's, it's kind of Taoist and it's kind of mystic in my philosophy with all this stuff. But the idea is to center myself in what is actuality. So what is really going on? Not what I think should go on or not what I believe I need to do or, but what, what is act, what is the experience I'm actually having? And, um, I know it's heady. It sounds weird. It's woo woo type shit, but that's, that's what I did today. I, I really just let my ha- myself have an experience. I just didn't feel like doing anything. So I didn't, I didn't do anything. And I didn't think this would be happening right now, recording this monologue because I was kicking myself for a minute today, like, you should be, you know, on it, you know, you, you made the video, you know, you should get the podcast ready, it needs to go out, you know, like, you got this other one that you need to start working on, blah, 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 the mental gymnastics, the mental, you know, things kicking around, and, and thanks to the help of people like Alan Watson, Vern, I'll call him Vern, Vernon Howard, Vern, advising me to just let things be what they are, don't force anything anymore. And just just seek to understand uh, where these things are coming from, and and don't take action, don't move, until, and this is where it gets heady when it feels like it's ready. So it's so it's not me, and it is me, mind, body, soul, three, unity. That's what we're talking about, all at once. So yeah, that's my little my little spiel for today. But uh, yeah, I hope everyone's doing well. I hope you guys enjoy this episode. I hope you guys reach out to Keaton and tell him he's a goddamn champion, dude. And uh, yeah, if you're listening out there and you'd like to get involved in some way, you'd like to you know, share your thoughts about this episode or you'd like to come on the show even and, and maybe you have a dream or an idea of something you'd like to pursue, anything I can do to help, hit us up at Inside the Mind's Eye. We'd be happy to help. Uh, it can get, uh, you know, uh, who knows what it can get, but... I like to dive deep. So if you have an idea of, of something you'd like to do, but you, you know, you're like me and, and you, you've been afraid or you're not sure how people will receive it and you don't even know where to start, I'm your man. So, and Keaton and anyone on the show who's been on the show, always happy to help. We got Ross, we got Joey, we got David, and there'll be more folks coming on. And uh, yeah, shoot us, shoot me an email, shoot me a message uh, or Keaton or any one of us and we'll be happy to, to help out. So without further ado, I say we go in. This is Inside the Mind's Eye with Keaton Mack.
here we are. We're we're here with the Mac Attack, Keaton. We're about to start the show. What's going on? Welcome to Inside the Mind's Eye, where we explore the thoughts, ideas, the emotions, the experience of those who are pursuing, have pursued, looking to pursue their dreams, or even understand their life. Absolutely. And uh, I want to run the tape back because we come from the same hood, dude. The East yeah. South. Oh, yeah. We're both with the Lassiter, <laughs> oh, like, yeah. 06, 08, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, we were just doing some real knucklehead shit back in the day. Absolutely. So at a certain point, you were working for, you were working for certain, let's just say drug smugglers or cartels, or you were engaged with some clandestine type shit. You were moving a lot some, of weight. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So... You know, and this is, I want to give this perspective just for people who might not understand, but you know, we're both white. We're both upper middle class, you know, chilling in the suburbia. Never of had too America. many major problems. No issues. Like, Wake up, it's a sunny day, it's a bright street. We can skateboard and do anything we want all day absolutely. long. No fear in our lives, no, essentially. No. <laughs> Literally, gift from the gods. Yes. And, you know, we're around a bunch of other people that are similarly vibed and understanding mm-hmm. that, like, we li- grew up in this beautiful environment. And, you know, people want to start exploring with drugs, right? People want to start exploring with the things they're seeing in movies. Everyone's listening to the music. Whatever we're doing, we're like, let's find out what this stuff is about. Not many people ha- are willing to go to the source of the, to get that type of stuff, to go downtown or to go out by Beaufort Highway or go to the hood. Mm-hmm. And, and you were, in my mind, is one of those dudes that was willing to do that in high school. Like you Yeah, were- so, so for me, the thing that got me started doing that was... Um- you know, like I, I hung out with a lot of people outside of Lasseter too. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of the weekend party thing, kind of what was going on in my life around the time I was like a sophomore, junior is when I started kind of picking up on all this stuff. But I'd eventually met a guy. He showed up at this party, this Walton party that I was at. Some guy from Walton that we were like, we're going to go to his house on Saturday. And the parents are out of town. You know, we're like 16 years old. And I show up and we're hanging out and this guy shows up that is obviously much older than everyone else. And he's just got a huge sack of weed. And he's like, I'm here to sell the whole party weed. Like somebody called him, said there's a bunch of kids here that'll buy weed. Why don't you just roll up and you could probably move an ounce or two of weed and people just do it. And I talked to him and he's like, he's like, yo, like. You know, if you're just willing to go get it or whatever, like you can make money doing it. I was like, do you, you know, like I had so many questions for him at the time. <laughs> yeah, right? uh, so, so for me, money was the motive. So like you grow up in East Cobb, right? You see all this stuff, you see the nice cars, you see all this stuff. I was like, I personally want that because in my mind, my parents, you know, being normal parents were like, we're not just going to get you whatever you want. Uh, but I wanted all the stuff that, you know, my parents could buy. Like I wanted to just go buy a sweet car right. and not the only reason I, in my mind that I couldn't have it is because, you know, my parents said they couldn't, not because they didn't have the means to go get the car. They just, that car's too fast. You can't have that car. You know what I'm saying? So uh-huh. I'm like, how do I get my own money that I can just do whatever I want with? So I was like, this is something fun for me. Like I like smoke weed on the weekends, like whatever. So you know, I stayed in contact with this guy, um, and I figured out how much drugs really cost. Like, if you buy, if you have some money, which I had access to get, 
you know, four or five hundred bucks. Like that wasn't crazy. Right. Not right. that I just could get it. Yeah. Not yeah. that I couldn't just go get it. But like, you know, you save up your money for a little bit. And I called him up and he lived down in Atlanta, not in a crazy part of Atlanta. Yeah. You know, but uh, I went down there and I started buying weed from this guy for like a re- like a regular price. So I bought a pound of weed, pound of shitty dirt weed from this guy for five hundred dollars. Mm. And that was your first purchase. That was my first big purchase besides, you know, not having to leave the area of East Cobb, the sheltered East Cobb. I had to get in my car, drive down to Atlanta that I've only ever been to like twice when you're like 16. The Coke Museum. And yeah, the like, whatever, you know what I'm saying? So, so I go down there. I go to this apartment complex. It's like a big tower apartment complex. There's like security guards. And I'm like mentally freaking out, you know, whatever. Like, how Did am you go I by yourself? This? I went by myself. Because this guy was like, I never dealt with anyone like him, but he was like, don't bring none of your little white boy friends. You know, I was just able to kind of connect with him and he was cool with it. Yeah. Um, but he was big on the don't don't bring your little white friends. Like, I'm going to have somebody's mom call the cops on me because they found out I, yeah, they totally. got weed from me. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. So I never dealt with anyone like that. But I got a pound of weed, which is way more than any weed that I have ever seen ever. Uh-huh. And I brought it back and I just started, hey, like y'all don't, don't worry because a lot of the times when it was just partying on the weekend, right, it's just like, you know, where are we going to get our weed from? Because it was it was the same as like trying to get alcohol back then. Like, oh, do you yeah. know someone's older brother like this, that? Yeah. Plus, you had to like plan it. And also, plus when you're in when you're in high school, it's like there's a class system and a hierarchy. And so like the upperclassmen, they're just they're, a lot of people are dicks. Yeah. So you want to be like you want to somehow provide for your friends in a way that's chill and cool. Because like there's, the you know, you want to yeah. you want to assume that role essentially. Yeah. So I started, you know, hey, nobody has to go anywhere anymore. Like, I got some weed. If you want it, just let me know and I'll sell it to you. Now, I did take advantage to the point where now I kind of know how much it really costs. Yeah. And I was like, well, this is what you would normally pay, so I'll just pay that. And I never told anyone any different. Like, even my close friends didn't know, like, I'm buying a pound for 500 bucks. They think an ounce costs $150. Right. So I just kept the prices the same as they've always been, and nobody ever knew any different. Absolutely. And I sell this pound. Even your closest friends? Closest friends. So nobody knew. Nobody. Man, fuck you, Brad and Kyle, dude. <laughs> <laughs> fuck you guys, dude. Nobody. Man. Dude, nobody fucking knew. No. Uh, so, you know, you move a pound. And but you took- were... You were uh, I love you, Brad and Kyle. You were probably smoking people up, right? Oh, yeah. All yeah. day long. Uh, absolutely. Oh, My yeah. friends were getting smoked out. I was like, I got weed for days. Like, yeah, you know, no sweat. Feeling some with me type of way. Yes. Yeah. We're feeling some type of way about all the weed I got, right? <laughs> so I sell like a couple ounces, and I'm like, yo, I already got my money back. And I have, at the time, I feel like just this ungodly amount of weed that nobody should ever have this much weed uh-huh. and I just kept selling it and when I got close to being out I got about a, about a half a pound and I was like yo like I almost got a thousand bucks I've never had a thousand of my own dollars before about at 16 right uh, so I called the guy back up and I was like yo let me get another pound and he was like well I don't have any of that weed I got some of this weed and I was like well how much is that and he was like $2,300 for a pound and it was like good weed at and i was like okay. what we refer to back in the day as dank dank <laughs> yes the fire dank it was yeah yeah so i don't I was know what like, we're calling it nowadays but it was you know so i was like this guy did me right before like you know i had seen good weed before it was like a, it was like the unicorn like every now and then somebody would have some good weed but yeah. it wasn't like the regular thing for me 
So I show you're up. You're 16 at the time. Yeah, I'm yeah. 16 years old. So I show up to this guy's place, and yeah, lo and behold, because I'm in my head like he's gonna try to rip me off, like sell me that he was he was trying to hook me, right? Mm-hmm. Like here's the $500 pound, and now that's what you thought. That's what I thought. So I go to get a, a half a pound. He had agreed to sell me a half a pound for a thousand dollars. Okay. So I was getting a break, a little, a small. You break. were like, I that we have one good deal. I want to just let's finagle a little bit and yeah see and he agreed works. like yeah. okay if you like i'll do it this one time don't ever ask me to do this again but i'll give you the half pound for a thousand bucks yeah so i was like okay and i still have like a half a pound of shitty weed right yeah so i go down there and i see it and it's all good and i'm like yo this is fire you know whatever um and i get it and i pay him the thousand dollars and i get it so now i've got a half a pound of good weed and i got a half a pound of bad weed i have no idea how much the good weed really costs so i kind of you had to made it up. You had to eye it out. Yeah, so yeah. I kind of made it up, and I, you know, like sixty was, a gram. Not sixty a gram. I started at forty-five. Okay. I started at forty-five. Nobody really bought it at that. Some really? people did. A couple people did. Okay. Um, you know, but you know, eventually, like people would hear that I had good weed, which attracted you know some of the upperclassmen, kind of like you were talking about people who kind of know what's going on, right? At this yeah. point. And they're like, oh, this guy's got good weed. Let me hit him up. And it's me. And, you know, they're like, dude, I will never pay that much. And I was like, well, how, you know, it made me ask the question, well, how much I'm having trouble sell? I'm selling a lot of the shitty weed and I'm having a lot of trouble selling this good weed, but it's better. So I'm trying to figure it out. Right. Right. So I'm like, well, what would you pay? And they're, you know, like 50 and eighth, you know, this, that, you know, some are, some are like, oh, I only pay 30, you know, they're trying to get the good weed for cheaper. Cause I'm like, you know, obviously had no idea what I was doing. Right. Um, you know, so I figure it all out and I start selling weed and it becomes like a, it, it stops becoming like a weekend party thing because I have it all the time now. Mm-hmm. I don't have to look for it. I can go get a large quantity of it. I have money in my pocket. Like I'm, I, things have started. You right. know what I'm saying? So, did you ever feel the heat or get nervous or anxious that people knew that you were the that you were selling weed in high school? Were you ever nervous about being around campus or authority? Uh, I usually never brought it to school with me. Okay. Um, I kind of, especially being at 16, I liked the attention. Okay. So, I thought it was cool. You know, like, hey, I'm a fucking weed guy. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I, in my head, I'm like, you know, I didn't like throw it around in people's faces, but it definitely made me feel good like i liked the feeling of but you being didn't, the weed you didn't you weren't nervous or looking behind your back or afraid not of really being i had caught. never been in trouble ever right you know i you know i wasn't a troublemaker kid i wasn't you know i like to party on the weekends and that's what i told myself for the longest time yeah you know um so it made me feel you know good like people even even people i didn't really associate with or anything it felt good that people knew who i was like i felt important totally so that's that's kind of what happened and before the end of high school like basically the same thing progressed we had gotten to the point where it's not the weekend thing like i'm basically blitzed out of my mind all the time oh yeah you know the parents kind of you know they're like he's smoking weed you know they hadn't seen any of the weed i had but they knew i was high obviously you know but they weren't they weren't too concerned about it you know they were like he's a kid he's you know 17 whatever he's smoking weed like We'll make it known that we know he's high, so he still tries to kind of check and balance with things, right? But, uh, you know, like, we're not going to lose our shit over it, right? They thought, like, you know, he's just smoking weed. Little do they know, like, senior year, I'm going down to the same dude that I started with buying, like, 15 to 20 pounds of weed. Mm. 
like duffel bag full of weed. And you, so you have people you're selling it to who are selling it. Absolutely. At this point, I'm selling to like most of the, the high school got dealers because most high schools would have a guy that was a dealer, right? Or or a do someone who was supplying for that small, you know, ten to twenty neighborhood like, area, yeah, like Harrison, Lasseter. Yeah. So you're taking all those schools. Oswell. Like I'm known enough now that those guys know that they can come to me, and they still don't have to go anywhere. And even any young kids that are 16, yeah. that are sophomores or freshmen, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, basically I had quit selling, you know, if I knew you personally, I would sell you whatever you wanted, right? But now, yeah, you weren't, so you weren't individually selling anymore. Very rarely would I be willing to sell somebody, you know, an An eighth eighth or a quarter or something like that. If you want an ounce, you know, that's worth my time. Um, But I would like to sell you a half pound or a pound, ideally. You know, so at that point, by the time I was a senior, and a lot of people knew that I sold it, but I would try to just direct. Like at that point, I had enough people. I basically put my my crew on, like all my friends. I just fronted them weed because mm-hmm. I was like, "Yo, I'm getting like a hundred phone calls a day. My mom's asking why my phone's ringing so much." You know, like I used to go to Blockbuster, <laughs> quote unquote. Oh, mom, I'm going to Blockbuster real quick. Back yeah. when it was still open, Dude, and so she'd be like, "You went to Blockbuster six times last night." <laughs> you know, so I mean, it got like unmanageable that they were going to start asking questions. So I tried my best to just. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to front, you know, all y'all like a quarter pound. There's like four or five guys. And, you know, if people hit me up, I'll just start saying, go to him, go to him, go to him, go to him. So I had like four or five guys close around me that were like my good friends. And we were just all selling. I put everybody on. We were all selling weed. Nice. And only, yeah. like <laughs> This is a good story, dude. I'm in, man. You know, but. This is fun. You know, and the way I did it was, you know, a lot of them were, you know, wanted to spend the money. They wanted to do the kind of stuff I did, which I yeah. typically paid for everything. Oh, yeah. Because I wanted my boys to, to get up too, right? Oh, like, yeah. You know what I'm saying? So I was like, we're going to go do this. And everyone's like, I'm broke. I'm like, don't worry about it. I got it. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? You want to go throw a party, whatever. I got the weed already. You know, let's go find someone to get us some alcohol, which I had a number of people at that point in time. Um, you know, let's let's get two thirty packs of some Keystone, some line, Keystone and some Natty or whatever. <laughs> you know, if you want to ball out, I'll get some like Budweiser, you know, whatever, dude. But but it's like, you know, realistically, that party cost me like eighty bucks, which if you're selling nothing. 15 pounds of weed is like doesn't exist doesn't exist dude so i was cool with it because it was never like large amounts of money it was never like for the things i'm doing for my friends right to make them feel important mm. you know so i wouldn't make them pay for weed ever i would just say here's a quarter pound that's how much you owe me and at that point in time it was they knew how much i was getting at that point in time like they started to figure out how much i was getting my stuff for because i got to the point where i was having to like do math <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So like they're starting to see numbers. Obviously, they kind of know what I'm getting it for. So you know they were all cool. I was like, I'm gonna front it to you. you don't have to pay anything. And then they was, would pay you back. Yeah, and they would just pay me back. So it was always a front. Okay. And they had some cash, and some a couple of them ended up coming to me like I want to buy it. Right. You know, and they and and they bought it, and that was theirs, and they I didn't have to make a phone call like, oh, I know where you live. You know, I know your mom. She'll let me in the house. Oh yeah. Like we're homies. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh-huh. I'll go up to your room and get what you got left. Like, type <laughs> shit. You know what I'm saying? We'll just call it good. You know, but very rarely did any of that kind of stuff happen. But, you know, so that's kind of what happened. As far as that, that brings you up to the, like, summer leading into college. 
Summer, and you went to college? I, for, for a very short period of time, yes. Okay, where'd you go? Uh, Southern Polytech. Okay. So you I went to in classes. I enrolled in classes. I'm at classes. I'm still doing the weed thing. A lot of my friends ended up going to KSU. Uh, so it's not, I mean, you're, you're, you have migrated from like, uh, what's, what's your bank account like at this point right now? No, currently? no, not, not right now. And, uh, so the Southern poly time, like, are so you saving I, a lot of this cash or are you I rolled just cash everywhere? I, I had a bank account, but my parents were connected to it. So I never put money in my bank account. Oh, but if you're talking like how much funds did I have? I was usually have anywhere from about 60 to 80 grand, like free cash. So what did you have when you're in Southern Poly? Did you have any vision or end goal for all the accumulation of this, of these assets, cash, whatever? Like, were you like, what do I want to really do with my life? Nah, or were you just like, this is so much fun partying all day long, every I day? I just party all the time. I didn't really, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't want to say I didn't care about the money. That was the whole reason I was doing all this was for money. Right. But you get to a certain point and you're like, I need more. It becomes addictive. Like, like it's, it is an asset in itself. Like. You want to think of it like this. I want to save up so I can get a Lamborghini. And then you have a Lamborghini at the driveway and you're like, look at my Lamborghini. For, just replace it with loose cash. Yeah. Like I wanted to be like, look at my hundred grand, which, you know, I didn't have at the time, but I was so getting you just close. Wanted to, you wanted to be a ferret with it, essentially. Yeah, you hoard it up. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So at that, at a certain point, it got like my shiny thing was stacks of money. Right. Like I just wanted to have stacks, man. Yeah. I, so at a time, American Gangster came out. The yeah, movie American Denzel Gangster. Denzel Washington, dude. And I wanted to be Denzel Washington. You don't even know how in that movie. I wanted to be Frank Lucas. You wanted Lincoln? So bad. Yeah, dude. So bad. I was like, I can do it. Uh -huh. So for a minute, like my idol was like, I'm going to be a big, big deal. Like drug dealer, start a fucking, fucking drug ring. You know, all this kind of stuff. And I was like, I can do it. You know, like I have it on a very small scale right now and I can do it. So I'm starting to get a bigger picture of like where I can take it. Mm -hmm. You know, you get into the college and you meet a ton more people, right? Uh -huh. So you start to meet all these people and you're like, oh yeah, I can do this. I can do that, blah, blah, blah. And I just kind of, you know, you're getting more, more and more clients. I'm selling more and more weed. At that point in time, I was only in college for maybe... And I had done other drugs, don't get me wrong. Like, I had done Xanax bars. I had done Coke, like, one time. I had done mushrooms a number of times. I had dropped acid. So, you know, like, when you have a lot of money and you're in high school and you kind of know some drug dealers, like, every now and then someone will be like, yo, I got some fucking X pills. And I'm like, I've never done that. Let's all... And I'll buy 30 X pills and my whole squad will just come over to my house and we'll roll one night or something. Yeah. But it was like a one-off type thing yeah, yeah. like we didn't actively them. yeah we yeah. didn't actively seek that i was like why'd you sell weed yeah so i meet a guy in college at this party and <clears throat> he had some he had some coke and i was like okay yeah well you know whatever i'll do some coke whatever and we got geeked up and you start running your mouth and all this stuff right and he ends up telling me like Yo, you need to quit fucking with the weed and uh you need to just start selling cocaine mm. like you can make so much more money he's like weed you can't cut weed He's like, if you, the way he explained it to me was like, imagine if you bought 15 pounds of cocaine and you could make it 20 pounds of cocaine. You know what I'm saying? He's yeah. like, you can't do that with weed. Right. Not like efficiently anyways. Yeah, like if you throw some mids in there, people are going to be like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. And there's too much of it. Yeah. So I was like, okay, like. How do we go about do that? And he's like, plus also people really want cocaine when they start doing cocaine. <laughs> yeah, <then."> dude. So, <laughs> so you know, 
I end up hitting this guy up like a day or two later, right? And I'm like, so what's really good with, because, you know, we? I was like, we're geeked up. Like a lot of, I, I'm used to people telling me I can do this for you. I can yeah, do yeah, that yeah. for you, blah, blah, blah. And a lot of it isn't real. Oh, yeah. And so I called him up a couple days later and I was like, can you really make this happen? Or like, you know, like, what's the deal? Yeah. You know, give me, tell me what's up. And he's like, no, no, I can really make it happen. And I'm like, okay. And uh, so at this point, just your priority was money. You weren't thinking about you'd done the coke, but it wasn't that wasn't the thing on your mind. That wasn't the thing on my mind. Okay, so you weren't even. I liked being drunk. I like smoking weed, but like you know, like it was. I wasn't like I wasn't jade out yet. That's what I wanted to make sure that none of your motives were for the substance itself yet. Not yet. Okay. Um, so, you know, I, I still, you know, I'm still 18. Like I have a late birthday in June. So like I was always the youngest mm-hmm. kid in my class, whatever. Um, so, you know, like I'm still 18 at this point and I hit, you know, hit this guy up and he's like, I'm going to take you over here. We got to do it this way. And I'm like, that's kind of sketch. But like at the same time, he's like, I got to introduce you, which I'm not, you know, every now and then my weed guy would be like, I don't have it. And I had a couple backup guys, but you know, like I had figured out like, some people are mad sketch when you want to buy fucking 15 pounds of weed. Like, they just, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So he's like, you know, if you want to do that, I'm going to have to introduce you to this guy, blah, 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 this and that and the other. And that's this is where the Mexicans come in. Uh, so he takes me. The cartel. Yeah. There it. Any organization that is trafficking I, drugs, I just refer to them as the cartel. The cartel. And especially yeah. if they're Mexican. They, they, were, <laughs> they, they were the first organization i ever came across uh-huh. that wasn't just like a guy right um you know so this guy takes me over here and you know and there's no money i don't have any money on me i'm not going here to buy shit i'm i'm going here to meet this guy right uh-huh. um who the guy that i did the coke with is this guy's nephew okay so this is like a family member saying i have this guy that said all this stuff so this guy ended up being like very legit with what he said okay um, so we so you go, meet you go meet his 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 uncle his uncle essentially yeah I go meet his uncle these dudes are like tatted up on the face everywhere like never met dudes like this before you know you go over to this dude's house there's guns laying out you know like I, I'm not used to this right um, and they're like sit I mean it's it's almost like a movie like, boys in the hood L A basically yeah right? I mean it's amigos. almost like a movie. Where, you know, you're like, I can't, you know, this is how it really happens almost. Essentially, they're like, sit down here. I probably sat there for about an hour before anyone ever came and talked to me. Oh, wow. You know, and they were like talking and all this stuff. And I'm like, yo, they could just shoot me. Yeah. But I'm like, you know, like I'm in the, I'm in the middle of no, actually I'm in Sandy Springs. This is all in Sandy Springs. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, I'm kind of familiar with the Sandy Springs here. I'm more familiar now than I was back then, but like, this is all happening like in an apartment complex in Sandy Springs. They had like a cluster of apartments in the bottom floor of a thing, like four apartments. And they had like, look at, I mean, dude, it was, it was fucking bananas. Regular right? barrio. Yeah. dude. <laughs> and uh, so anyways, I'm waiting. This guy finally comes up and talks to me, introduces himself. He's like, I heard, you know, this is what you're trying to do. And I was like, yeah. And they checked me. For like wires and shit. Okay. Um, you know, made sure. I think they were actually looking for weapons, but you know, they check everything while you're there, I guess. Um, so, you know, we have a conversation and he's like, you know, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to do that. And he's like, all you need to do. He gave me a, a cell phone number. He said, never call this number, only text this number. So, and he would just say, this is, you're just going to text me a number. 
like a dollar amount number. That's all you're going to text me. And you're going to meet me at this address, which ended up being a restaurant that those group of guys owned the restaurant. Okay. So I had never done anything like this before. And I was kind of nervous, but at the same time, I was like, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to buy a bunch of cocaine. I, and I didn't even know how much I was going to get. I had right. no idea. I'm just going to show up with a so, bunch of money. So all you knew was once you left, left there, when you were ready, you texted them the dollar amount? So when I left there, there was a couple day period because I wanted to sell the rest of my weed. So I had the money. Ready. Okay. But so he just gave you the rundown that first meetup. He said, mm-hmm. this is how it works. You call. I just want to reiterate so I understand. You call this number. You, I mean, you text, you text it, never it, call. Never call the number. You text the number and you say, and you text your dollar amount, right? That's all you do? And then they send you the address? No, they said this is where it will always be. Okay. So it was a restaurant. Okay, right. Because I stopped by so, after I did so leave all there you to need, just all see you needed it. to know was what dollar amount you wanted from that point forward. And you have to show up there with it. With the money. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I just want to make that. And you get, the way they had it was like you go in, you sit down at this a specific table which I got wrong the first time, but <laughs> you sit down at a specific table. You know, there was a lot going through my mind. I'm still thinking maybe I'm going to get robbed. Maybe I'm going to get shot, you know, whatever. No. So Who knows? The, so we're going to the first time you went there now. Yeah. So Are you, and you're nervous. Yeah, absolutely. Because I at the at the time, you know, I, I never, at this point, I never really took every, 100% of my money and read up with 100% of my money. Because I was like, shit can always happen. And I need to be able to get back in, right? Right. Cause so I had had people rob out the guys I was selling to, and they're like, "Oh, what am I gonna do?" And like you know, I'd had things like that happen before. At so this you point. brought all your cash. I brought one hundred percent of my cash, which What's was sixty five thousand dollars. To the restaurant. To the restaurant in a lunchbox. Damn. And I'm like, this is it. Like <laughs> I'm either gonna blow up or I'm gonna do nothing because I have no extra money. You were really Frank Lucasing it. I I was trying every, I I wanted to be Frank Lucas that at that moment in time that wasn't going through my head but I was like this is you got to like if I want to do it right this is how I'm going to do it okay you know and I kind of had a a mindset like I'm going to stand up I'm going to you know if something pops off like maybe I'm going to get shot cuz I'm not just going to let them walk out of here with my money now you got to think this is their Did restaurant. you bring a weapon with you? Yeah. I did. I brought a gun with me. I had a 40 40 caliber Glock with me. And I was like, okay, you know, if I have to, it's $65,000, you know what I'm saying? And uh, so I, I, I go there um, and I'm waiting and, you know. Nervous? Just nervous as hell. Yeah. And I see two, obviously, guys that are affiliated with this guy that I met, but it's not him. And immediately what's going through my head is I'm about to get robbed. You know what I'm saying? Because I'm like, he's not here. Something's off. I didn't know that's normal. Like, he has a crew of dudes that does shit for him. So they sit down at the table, and they're like, let's go. One of the guys is like, hey, walk to the bathroom with me real quick. And we walked to the bathroom, and he was like, you have the money? And I was like, yeah, here's the money. And he was like, okay, go sit back down at the table with the the other guy. So I sit back down at the table with the other guy. My money has been... (laughs) Someone has walked off with my money at this point, and I have... Yeah, money's gone. And I'm like, okay, there's another guy at the table. He's still there. I'm going to go sit with him. And um, the other guy, after about 15 minutes, comes comes back in and sits down at the table. And he's like, you want something to eat? And they were like, chill. 
And I was like, yeah, okay. And I, I'm thinking to myself, like, where's my drugs? Where's my drugs? Where's my drugs? Yeah, my I, don't, drugs? You I don't know how money. I'd have an appetite, dude. Yeah, so they were like, yeah. So they were like, we got to eat something. And they're like, it's on the house. It's their restaurant, too. And I was like, yeah, I'll take a fucking quesadilla then, I guess. You know, fuck it. So we eat, and he's like, you're all set, man. And um, and I was like, what are, you, what are you talking about? He's like, it's in your car. So I was like, okay. And I'm thinking, and still, and I, I was kind of excited. Like, it went down. These guys are cool. Like, they don't look, they don't appear like they behave. They behave like normal people, but these dudes are, like, scary-looking dudes, right? And so I get in my car, and I'm like, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I, like, start to look through my car, and the guy's like, don't, you know, like, don't look in your car. Just drive, drive home. You're right. good. And so I'm like, okay. And I'm just, like, doing what I'm told at that point because I'm like, if I don't, they're going to shoot me? Like, I don't know, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I get in my car and I drive home. It's, like, 20 minutes away. And I start tearing my car apart and I find the drugs. They put it underneath the floor mat, underneath the donut in my car. And he was just, like, you know, you know, I didn't know at the time, but, like, they're an organization. Like, people watch what they do. They don't just fucking, oh, did I get my shit? You know what I'm saying? They don't want to have any physical exchanges. Like, you know. No, of course not. So I didn't know any of that. But I get I get the drugs, right? Uh-huh. And I'm like, I got I got the drugs. Like, I was so excited. It, it, it went down exactly like it was supposed to go down. Um, you know, and I get this. I had this scale. I had everything ready. I'm going to cut the cocaine, right? What is it? Just a big bag? It's a huge... It's Well, it's a huge bag, but it has giant chunks in it. So it's not like powder. It's like big old chunks. But, you know, I had done cocaine enough times to know, like I tasted it, at least it's cocaine, even if it's already stomped the shit. Right? Turns out... If, I don't figure this out until way later, but turns out it's like really good cocaine. But, so I put all this stuff on a scale, because I still didn't even know how much cocaine I was going to get, right? Yeah. I'm still just like, I texted you a dollar amount. $65,000 and you just drop these bags of cocaine off of my car and I like you could have given me an ounce of cocaine for $65,000 what am I going to do now yeah you don't even know what it's worth yeah so it turns out I bought five and a half pounds of cocaine damn just over two kilos damn yeah so for $65,000 and now they were kind of fucking with me at this point so for $65,000 that is not worth two kilos of cocaine Right. You should get a lot more than two kilos of cocaine for $65,000, right? Well, what, what would you say would be a fair price? Uh, knowing what I know now from what I ended up starting to get from them, I was paying, you're talking about maybe fifteen grand for two keys. Okay. So, I mean, you know, they gave me, I, you could sell at street value. I think I broke even after I cut it, dude. So I broke even after I cut it, just about, because at this point, like, I'm starting to do some cocaine, right? Like, mm -hmm. I don't have weed anymore. In fact, weed, like, disappeared overnight, dude. People were calling me for weed. I was like, I don't sell weed anymore. I sell cocaine. And I'm jacked up, and I'm, like, telling everyone, like, if you want this, come get it. I no longer and have And you were started doing it, too. And I started doing it, okay. like, all the time. Okay. That was what I had. Yeah. So it wasn't, I smoked weed, because I had weed. Now I'm doing cocaine, because I have cocaine. Okay. Um... You know, so a, a, a good amount of time passes, probably all, close to a year. After a year, I know these guys very well. They you've know gone them. back and forth with them over mm -hmm. this year? Mm-hmm. So you, okay, so you've re-upped re several times. Are you still at Southern Polytechnic? Uh, I am still enrolled, but I would not consider myself going to the school anymore. I don't even go there anymore. Okay. Um, 
but um, you know, I had I, I got to know these guys well enough that I had had conversations with them. They were kind of testing me. I think they were feeling me out. Like, is this can this kid sell two kilos? Right. You know, can he do this? Can he do that? It was kind of rough at first, but once you get plugged in with one cokehead, all the cokeheads come to you. Right. So it was kind of hard at first. Um, but within two or three months, like I was able to, it flew off the shelf. Like I couldn't believe how fast I was selling coke. Mm. It was insane. Everybody, it just seemed like everybody just started doing coke overnight. Right. You know? So, and I had never really been involved heavily with a drug that can hook you like that. You know what I'm saying? Right. So that's my first experience with it. You know, someone buys a quarter of weed, you don't talk to them for a week. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You sell a quarter of blow to someone, they might call you tomorrow. Um, so, you know, it was my first time dealing with all that kind of stuff or anyways, but, um, they ended up feeling me out, stuff like this. And they started giving me more and more and more cocaine for the money that I was giving them. So I was, they were kind of starting to give me what the Coke was worth to them. Like what they would have like, at that point, they would consider that I sold large amounts of cocaine for them. I was an asset to them. Right. Um, and I had been to his house. Um, we won't say anyone's name, but the guy, the main guy in charge, like I had been to his house. He had met my family. Like you start buying a lot of cocaine and uh, like they're going to want to know things. Like if you try to fuck me over, how am I going to get my money back? Right. Um, and I had met his family and like I wouldn't say like I was a part of their organization. I was just an asset to the organization. Like I, I didn't join up or, you know, whatever, yeah. whether but they you were. Became, you became friendly. Yes. Yes. Um, what were your parents? What, what were they? I didn't live with them. They really didn't know too much about any of this until after I got sober. Right. But how did they, how did, how did, how did you get to your, your parents to meet this guy? They had like, um, so they had this house at the time uh-huh. and they would have people come over all summer long, barbecues, bring your friends, whatever. We're going to hang out at the lake. You know, they're very generous as far as like a bunch of people don't have a lake house. Yeah. So we'll just let all the friends, we'll, we'll set aside like a week in the summer and whoever wants to come can just come. So I was like, okay. And I brought them with me okay. and I was like, Hey moms, this is so-and-so, this is so-and-so, this is so-and-so. And I mean, I just used the names that they told me, which I'm almost positive aren't their real names anyways. Right. Um, and they're all tatted up. I have tattoos at this point. My mom kind of knows like I roll with some questionable people, but she probably really didn't think yeah. These are like we want organized. to have the best of others in our hearts. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You know, I wouldn't say she approved of it, but they knew where she lived and they met her in person. So, so let's fast forward then. Let's fast back to Southern Polytechnic. When do you stop going? When do you just disenroll? Um, probably three or four months after I start selling cocaine. Okay. So I finished the semester out, like going to classes and like during winter break, like I just didn't come back. Okay. And so you're you're selling coke. You're doing coke. And, and your relationship with this organization is escalating. You're it's doing escalating. moving more weight. I'm moving. At this point in time, my money has exploded. Okay. So including, so say I sold out all the cocaine and I'm going to go re-up, right? Uh, typically, I would have anywhere from like $140,000 to $160,000 just cash. Okay. Now I usually only spent about eighty. That was like my pro- like no matter what I'm getting eighty because it still took me a while to move it, uh-huh. um, and I didn't want to just like I said I didn't want to dump it. So I tried to just half of whatever I had is what I tried to use to re up. Right. So if some shit goes down, shit goes sideways, I can right where I left off, I can just jump right back in. Right. It was like my backup plan, right? Okay. 
So the money has gone up exponentially. It's coming in faster. At this point, I am a, I would, I, I would not call myself this yet at that point in time, but I am the JSJ you have ever seen ever. I just didn't run out of it. Right. So I was like, I don't have a fucking problem. Like, I never got to the dudes that were like, oh, let me get the last line off of that dust off the table. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, I was just like, I'll just fucking put some more out there, yeah, whatever. You, you know, know what I'm saying? Unlimited yeah. supply. Yeah. Wake up all day. Yeah. So I have yet to get in any real trouble at this point. Now, I have one thing we did skip is I have been arrested before this. Right. But all misdemeanors, I think I got caught with like, like a quarter of a gram of weed um i had been arrested i had and then i violated that probation and i had to go back for jail but all for the same arrest uh-huh. so that's that's the only trouble i've been in up until this point now um i'm living in an apartment at this point in time and we will up until this point uh you know i'm selling coke i'm doing all this stuff but i have never had any crazy experiences i am hanging out at my house one night and my apartment gets raided by the swat team now i am living in kennesaw at the time we get raided by the swat team by miracle i have no drugs in the house i have zero drugs in the house and my money i usually keep it hidden behind a vent cover so they're looking through the house. They have a search warrant, blah, blah, blah. They go through my trash. They have all this stuff. They found some bag, like bit larger bags with residue in it. So they did charge me with possession of cocaine, but there was not enough for like a felony or could say I was distributing or anything like that. And we get to court and they ask what the, uh, my lawyer's asking what the, everyone, everyone there goes to jail. Um, my lawyer's asking like, what was the search warrant for and all this stuff? And they said for machine guns. Which I had no machine guns. Um, the maintenance man ended up going to my apartment. I think the cops sent him in there um, to like wear wire, see if he could see anything. You know what's going on in this kid's apartment. Obviously, I, they're watching me. Um, and I had airsoft guns under my futon, so the maintenance man told him I had automatic rifles in my <laughs> apartment. Mm. So that's what the search warrant was for. I got the entire case dropped. Because of airsoft guns when they were looking for machine guns. Nice, okay. We had to pay a lot of money to that lawyer. He was really good, but we got it done, and that just went away. And I think for for a while, so nothing else happens to me for like a year and a half. And you go back to, you're just... Yeah, I just get out. We go through the trial process. I'm still selling cocaine the second I get out. Yeah. Selling cocaine, right? And, um... You're doing all this stuff. Nothing has really changed. I'm going through the process. My lawyer's like, we're going to get the case dropped. They fucked everything up. That's them. You're going to get away with it. And I was like, sweet. At any point at this, uh, did you recognize you had a problem or were you nervous or scared of losing your freedom or anything like that? Not so much. Not yet. Not yet. And you did end up going to jail for a while, right? I went to pr- Yeah, I went to prison for just under two years. Okay, so you, all right. I just did. It's, <laughs> all right, I just wanted to get that out there that yeah, that gets there. The, eventually. We do eventually get there. So, um, you know, I continue on the path. Whatever, I'm got away with it. All this stuff, and I feel like they just were forced to. The police department was forced to just stay away from me. Right. Like you fucked it up. You have to stay away from yeah. this kid. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So for a minute, there was like a 
like a year and a half. Like I just felt like I was getting away with everything. The money's getting bigger at this point. I've almost reached a quarter of a million dollars. It's cash. And I'm like 20 years old. Mm. And I'm like, yo, like I'm living the life, right? Um, and at this point, the I had stopped selling cocaine. Like just like with weed, I had stopped selling any small amounts of cocaine. In fact... I just was trafficking across state lines. Like I was taking their drugs to other states and just dropping it off to other people. Right. Uh, for like extreme amounts of money. Like we're, oh, you're going to make this drop. That's 150 How, how did grand. you meet these people out of state? I didn't even know them. It's the Mexicans knew them. Oh. So they would. So how would you know how much you were making? No, so they would just they would just say, here's the money that you're going to make. You'll make it when you get back. They'll just tell you. If you do these runs for us, we'll give you 100 grand. So now you're just trafficking. Yep. You're not even selling anymore. I mean, I, I had my own cocaine, of and course. I usually kept about a quarter pound of cocaine. Okay. Just for myself. Okay. Um, you know, and, and I would say I am fiendishly addicted to cocaine at this point. I'm doing seven, eight, nine grams a day. Like by myself. And you've never, at this point, never gone without it either. Not really. So you don't even know that you're addicted. You know, I, I would get Xanax bars in quantity from the same guy. They had everything. Yeah. They didn't just have cocaine. They had right. whatever you wanted. So if I was like, yo, I need 100 Xanax. Like, I just quit fucking with everyone else. These guys had everything. Yeah. So I'd be like, yo, I need 100 bars. A lot of times they just give me 100 bars. Like, so you don't even have to pay for it. Here you go. So your lifestyle now is basically all you're doing is trafficking and doing doing blow. Yeah, I'm doing blow and for three or four down. days. Yeah, and it'd pop two or three bars and go to sleep for a day. Okay. And then get back in the car, you know, and I might only get a call every other week. But it's a $100,000 call. Right. You know what I'm saying? So the, I, this and, and the way it worked, would they would be like, go over to here. Um... Meet up at the restaurant, the same place I did from day one. You're going to get a set of keys. That's the car. You're going to drive over to the parking lot where the car is, and you're just going to drive the car. Everything's ready to go. Okay. Here's the address. Yeah. And I'd be going to Florida. I'd be going to Alabama. I'd be going to North and South Carolina, Tennessee, basically Southeast, right? Right. Somewhere I could go and come back in the same day. Okay. So... You know, you, you start doing this stuff, and I'm making money hand over fist, and I'm not even having to do work. Like, I can just get in a car and drive a fucking car. And now you're going to these sketchy places, right? But at the same time, in my mind, because you're probably going to ask, like, is it scary to just, like, Roll in up Florida? On a spot with a so in stuff. Florida, um, I was dealing with Haitians. I don't know if you've ever encountered, like, Haitians, but they're very stick a gun in your face threaten you type people yeah rambunctious yeah um and they were never friendly towards me but i think they knew where it was coming from because i represented these guys right right and i'm like you don't want to fuck with those guys either right right so i felt like i was protected even though they're not there like i have their product if you do anything to me that's their money right like they're gonna come after you right so i felt protected so i was never afraid of these situations right and it was always do business yeah Got it. So, you know, not that things didn't pop off or get escalated. They'd be like, we're not paying you. And I would just be like, yo, you, do you know, like, what's going to happen? Like, it was kind of stupid of me thinking now. Like, they could have just shot me. Yeah. You yeah. know what I'm saying? But in my head, I'm like, the, I'm a huge drug dealer, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm this massive drug dealer, right? That's what I'm thinking in my head. So it's like, yeah, we'll step to you, dude. You, you guys ain't shit. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Uh, I'm by myself with no gun. I'm not riding around with a gun on me. 
You know, so I just have the shit that's in the trunk. It's usually in a duffel bag. I usually don't even look at it. And so when they're like, we're not going to pay, you're just like, nah. Like, yeah, I'm like, that's not how I'm, this shit works, dude. Like, don't, you don't want this. Like, I'm what would they do? East boy, white cop, East boy. They'll be like, whatever, and the shit will pop off. But eventually, after arguing, someone will just bring you the money. That's typically how it went. Like, here's right. your money, get out so of here. So they're kind of testing you a little bit. Yeah. Um, and then you get used to it. They get used to it. They're going to try you up every time you go down there. I mean, it's just part of the deal now, right? Yeah. Because um, everyone's scared. They don't want to lose their money. They want to make sure that it's actually in there. Is it the I mean, real we're thing? talking, yeah. If they're giving, you got to think, okay, so some of these runs were for like three, four, five duffel bags full of like cocaine, sometimes heroin. You got to think, how much money do you, I don't even know how much money five duffel bags full of heroin is. Right. But they're paying me $100,000 just to drive it there. Right. So it's got to be worth a massive amount of money. Right. And no one's counting anything in these exchanges. It's just, no. it's exchanging and it better be right. And if it's not, something's going to be wrong. Mm-hmm. Nobody usually checked. It was just, that's money for this. Okay. You know, like who's got time to weigh out four duffel bags with Nobody. the heroin to the gram? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Nobody's doing that. Um, so... Not that much time passes from when I'm doing that stuff uh, to the point I am making a run down to Alabama. I cross the state line, and I didn't even notice, but every car around me was an undercover police car. We had Escalades. We had pickup trucks. We had station wagons. At the second I crossed the state line, every car just lights up. And there's like eight cars around me. So obviously I pull over. What are you thinking? What? Are, where are you at? Like, how are you feeling? I got a are trunk you fuck- full of shit, dude. I got a, uh, you know, I haven't even made the delivery yet, right? Right. So I'm like, okay, like this is for real. Like they're gonna find it. It's in duffel bags in the trunk. If you look in the trunk, you're gonna, I'm busted. And there's not this many cops for a what if scenario. Let's hope we catch them. And there's no coincidence that they waited for me to cross the state line with it either. You know, so it turns out that it was uh, it was the feds. It was federal. Um, they, you know, it, this isn't a, oh, license or registration. These are guns drawn. Throw your keys out the window. So where are you at then? Where are you at in your mind, mental space, emotional space in the front seat, the driver's seat of that car? And so, much shit is going, so much shit is going on through my mind. Like, you can't think. You can't. It's so fast, you can't grasp it, even ideas. You just do what you're told. I don't know how else to describe it. I've never been through anything like this ever in my entire life. To this day. Wizards with nothing, dude. So the cars light up. You instantly pull over, just like a normal traffic stop. Hand to two and and four on the wheel. Two and four on the wheels. I got like 15 to 20 guns pointed at my car. Oh, my God. They said, turn the car off and throw the keys out the window. Okay. So I do that. Okay. And then they give me instructions on how to open up my door. And I'm just, I don't want to get shot. I guess the, like my primal instinct Absolutely. is like, you don't want to get shot. Just do what they're telling you. Like these dudes have a shit ton of guns pointed at you yeah. and they'll fucking shoot your ass. This isn't little Haiti where you got some bargaining. They don't care if you, they know you work for the Mexican guys. Like that's what this is about. Yeah. You know? So I'm like, they, they're these, these guys will shoot you. You know what I'm saying? So I just do what I'm told. I get arrested. They don't even ask me any questions, nothing. They take me to a local like sheriff's office and I and begin and they start the interrogation process. So these aren't like county police officers. This is the FBI. So they immediately arrested you, put you in handcuffs, and put you in a cop car. 
And someone drove your car, just took your car? Left it there. It got towed. I eventually got it back, but... So they didn't search it with you on... they Because uh, I, I thought you had to ask permission to search a vehicle. No, they had it. They, so they had it. They, they might say that, <laughs> uh, but that's not the reality. Right. Because the they, they knew they, you had stuff. So they, they had built a case on me, and they were building a case on me for over two years. Okay. So they, so it's they just a it matter was of like, like this we is can just arrest yeah, yeah, we can arrest him now regardless of what's in the car or not. Yeah. Even if he has nothing in the car, he's going to he's going to jail. Right. So they take me to jail and now I've been to jail before. This isn't like something I'm not used to. I'm not definitely not used to FBI agents, you know, stuff like that. I'm used to like cops and or SWAT teams, you know, something like that. Um, but you know, you're getting a different vibe here. Like nobody says anything to you. Half of these dudes are wearing masks. Like I can't even see their face. So I'm like, okay, this is like some different shit right here, right? And I try talking to them, and they just pretend you don't exist, right? They take me to this local jail in Abbeville, Alabama. And uh, they take me into a room. It's like an interrogation room, not one like you would see. There's no, like, mirrors or lights shining in your face. It's just like a... It'd be like a room like this. No windows, one door in, one door out. There is a camera watching you, and there's a table. They took the handcuffs off. I have no handcuffs. Um, and I sat in there. I don't know how long I sat in there. Could have been a day. Could have been 10 hours. It was a long fucking time. Eventually, someone comes in, dressed in a suit, real nice, you know, whatever. And he's like, uh, I'm your lawyer. <laughs> so it was like they, they had sent a lawyer in to, like, tell me what I'm being charged with. Because okay. they have to do that. Right. So he basically explains, like, yo, that you're fucked. He's like, there's no way out of it, basically. And I think he was trying to get me. He was greasing the wheels to get me to play ball. They wanted to. They wanted to know about the Mexicans. Okay. At this point, have you been to any rehabs or none? And you've never even been in jail longer than half a day. No, I've when I violated probation. Yeah. Um, I was in there for about thirty days, and. Um, when I got raided by the SWAT team, it was about two weeks before they would even post me a bail. So I had never done more than 30 a month. Okay. Uh, in a county jail. Right. It's pretty not that bad as far as things go. So did they start the interrogation? Uh, so yeah. So the, the lawyer comes in and he's kind of like, they got you on this. They got you on that. It's dead to rights. He basically told me they have a case that's built against you. It isn't just this arrest right here. They've been, they have, I mean, he showed me pictures of me making deals. I mean, they've been, they've been, they've been watching me. They were trying to, I think, intimidate me into, we have you dead to rights. And, and he, he was my lawyer, which we didn't even use him. Um, but they had to give me legal representation before I, they could begin an interrogation process or try to cut a deal with me. Right. So they were kind of just showing me, this is all the stuff we have on you, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, that's good. And he's like, you know, just I'm going to be in contact with you blah 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 and he leaves and I'm basically left with okay they got me with a bunch of shit but other than that like I don't really know uh, what's going on so another guy comes in two FBI agents come in or police I don't they had FBI badges so I'm assuming FBI people um, come in and they're like okay you know this is how it's going to work to make a long story short they were like we know about the guys that you're running drugs for and they tried to to you know tell me like we know you're not the bad guy you know we know you're just doing something for somebody else you know i guess trying to get me to um 
be more, um, you know, open to the thought of maybe I'll rat these guys out. Right. And what it came down to was I was like, I can't do it. Like, they know where my family is. They know where my grandma's. And they were they offered protection. So that's what I did? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They offered protection for help for in, in exchange that I cooperate and do a trial and all this other stuff. Blah, 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 blah. And I was basically just too afraid to cross the, the gangsters, dude. Like, I was like, I can't do it. And they're like, all right, well, we're going to fucking throw everything we can at you and we're going to bury you. And I was like, that's okay. Mm. How old are you right now? 22. How old are you right now? 29. Okay. So you're, you're almost sober. Almost. Damn, dude. A lot of shit happens in a course of about nine months. Oh, yeah. So, I, I go through the trial process. We speed it up as much as possible. Um, I, am, I am let out on bail. Like three hundred thousand dollar bail. Um, I get out, and uh, the Mexicans got me out. They're the ones who bailed me out, um, and they asked me a bunch of questions. Now I'm being interrogated by the Mexicans. They Damn. bailed me out. I'm in Alabama, so they bailed me out. They were. Had your parents know any of this yet? No, they know that I got arrested. At this point in the story, mm-hmm. they knew that you were arrested. Yeah. Okay. Um. And so the Mexicans, they bailed me out. I mean, my parents didn't have $300,000, and they weren't going to put their house on leave no, no, no. to get me out. They were like, you can just sit there for the trial. Like, I'm not putting my yeah. fucking house on but, the line. But the Mexicans came and got you out, and they wa- they wanted to know what you said or didn't say. Yeah. Were you scared? Yeah. Because I was like, these dudes might fucking kill me. They, they Who knows if they're going to trust what I tell them, because it's just he said, she said. Right? Yeah, and even still, if we let them go, who's to say you won't decide to say something eventually? Mm-hmm. So even the main guy even showed up to pick me up. The like the big boss man was there himself. And we're on the ride back, you know, they're asking me questions, you know, what happened? How did it go down? Did you see anyone's face? They were trying to get like who are these agents? Like maybe we can you know harass them into being scared and not do anything. You know, I'm like, I don't know what anyone looked like. They all had masks on, this and that, and blah, 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 blah. And they wanted to know who the lawyer they sent in, who his name was. I gave them that. Um, you know, all every gave them every piece of information I could. And they fucking took me home and they dropped me off, dude. Um, and at that point, I was like, hey, on the, in the same conversation, I was like, I'm done. Like, I can't do this anymore. And... He kind of laughed, like he thought it was kind of funny. He's like, "Nah, you you're not done. Uh, like you're you make a lot of money for us. You do a lot of important things for us. Like you're you're done when we say you're done." And mm. so that was a harsh realization because up until that point, I think I'm the luckiest kid on earth to get plugged into these guys. Right now, I realized like it, it didn't hit me until that point. Like I knew I was in it. Like you. <laughs> You, you are not in control of your own fate at this point. No. So, I continued to do that. Um, you went the, back to work for him? Yeah. I mean, when they know where your family lives and everything, what are you going to do? I mean, you're, you're really left with not that many choices. Um, and shortly, uh, not even a, a full month goes by before they tell me, like, you're cut off, you're done. Who says that? The Mexicans. Why did they say that? 
They, they explained to me this case, the indictment, everything, all this fe the feds. I can't work for them because I'm drawing too much attention to the organization. Okay. So they do let me stop. Okay. So, and I am thinking it's only because the FBI is involved. Right. Um, so they let me off the hook. I'm, do I'm done. I'm finally done with the Mexicans, okay? Um, and this is about nine months before I get sober. Okay. Um, now, with everything being cut off, now I have no source of drugs. Up until this point, from the time I was 16 to 22, I have had an unlimited supply of whatever drug I've been doing. Right. So I do have money, though. I have about $60,000, $65,000 that I was able to walk away clean with. I, got, I still got some money, right? Uh-huh. Um, a couple weeks later, we had gone to court. We hadn't had a trial yet. We're still trying to figure out who's getting charged with what, how much time. Like, you know, we're going back. I'm in and out of the courthouse, right? Mm -hmm. My case was transferred to uh, Cobb County. And um, I'm going through everything. We're in and out. Um, I get put on house arrest. They're like, okay, we'll accept some stuff, but we want him on house arrest so we know he's not going anywhere. So I rent the, I was living here, but I rented the house literally next door to this house and, uh, found a, a, one of my buddies from back in the day, back in high school that I fronted the weed to, you know, whatever was into some harder shit too. And he, I was like, yo, I don't know. I don't care what it is. Like, I need you to bring me some shit up here. Right. And he was messing with meth at the time. And he's like, all I got is ice. Never done meth before. Not even one time, um, and I was like, it's, you know, does it go up? Speed is my thing, you know, don't bring me some painkillers or whatever. I need something good. In my mind, speed was good. So he's like, dude, this is like the, the pinnacle of speed. That's what you want. So I was like, okay. So he knew I had a lot of money, so I was like, bring me like, bring me a lot of it. Bring me like a quarter pound of meth. And he was like, done. You hadn't even tried it yet. Nope. So, I mean, I'm like in a pretty dark place at this at this moment. Like, I'm waiting to get sentenced to prison. I'm waiting to do this. I'm waiting to do that. Blah, 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 blah. All this stuff. Um, so, we do the meth. Um, you know, all this. I go, I go haywire on the meth, right? Everything starts to spin out of control as far as like, I think I stayed awake for about 28 days straight. Just smoking meth. <laughs> that's Damn. about it dude smoking meth 28 days straight and I would like black out doing stuff like I would black out and I'd wake up but I wouldn't be like passed out on the couch like I'd wake up and I'd be like making a sandwich Wow. or like some crazy shit so like I would after like a week a week and a half 10 days something like that like I started to get like memory gaps like gaps in what I was doing and obviously you know psychosis is hitting I'm starting to hear voices like um to get into it, you you, um, I think the United States government has found that, like if I I have awakened my wizard powers or whatever. This is your psychosis now. That yeah, you're in, my psychosis, which I have also experienced. Yeah, so I have like awakened my wizard powers, oh, and yeah. I'm figuring out how to use them. Oh, right, yeah. like I'm I'm testing the waters. I'm seeing what I can and can't do. Yeah, all this kind of stuff. The government has already has wizards in my mind, like. They already have wizards, and I start hearing this voice that I am not used to hearing. Mm -hmm. 
And he's like, you know, this and that and blah, blah, blah. And I work for the government. We're going to, if you work with us, we're going to help drop all these charges. That's not even important. Like, do you realize how rare you are? Like, there's only like eight wizards on the planet. (laughs) Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Totally. And this guy isn't even a wizard. He's a telepath. Mm -hmm. And he works for the U.S. government. Mm -hmm. And he's like, okay, we're recruiting you. Like, you know. You are recruited, and we're going to help you learn your the powers. Wizardry, yeah. Welcome yeah. to wizardry. You're yeah, in we're going to help you do this stuff, and and in return, we're going to and you're going to work for the United States government, uh, doing things, and in return, we're going to help make that little case that you're dealing with right now. It's just going to go away. And in reality, I'll give the reality perspective: is you're sitting on a couch for three hours <laughs> having these conversations with yourself in my head, in I your don't head, say a word, and then you get up and you go to the store yeah. because you need to go to the store I to get a secret mission. Secret right? mission: go get a pack of gum, mm-hmm. get back in your car, go back home. But yeah. the, the, you had to let them know that you were making moves, yeah. and there was something they were going to deliver to you in that process. Mm-hmm. You go back on the couch, you sit for three hours. Mm-hmm. That's psychosis. But in your mind, all of the stuff you're it's saying crazy is going shit on. Is happening, yeah. Yeah, you're a wizard. They had something at the at the Home Depot, buy the pack of gum that you had to get to put and they were gonna put something in your car and then yeah. Classic and I psychosis. Think, I think earlier when I I think I was a little bit younger than twenty two when, when all that stuff happened because I hadn't even gone to jail yet. Right. So I think this is a little bit I think it might be toward about twenty two now. Okay. Because there's about when I get out of prison, there's a very sh- two-week period before I end up getting sober, sober. So we're probably about 22 now here at the next the next door house. rental house with your buddy mm-hmm. coming in with the mat. Yeah. Um, and he kind of just drops it off and leaves, right? So, I mean, like, I'm just by myself basically the whole time. Like, I didn't want people to be around. You know what I'm saying? Um, so I'm doing this meth. You know, I think I'm this fucking secret wizard agent, right? And one day... And I kind of had like a stretch of like a pretty positive period where like I'm doing good for America, like all this crazy shit, right? So shit starts to go sideways again. Like I, you know, start hearing this voice and he's like, look out, look out, look out. And I'm like, what's going on? You know, like, and, and I don't actually say any of this. It's just In all mind, up here. Yeah. And he's like, yo, the Russians found out that we have a new wizard that doesn't fully know how to use their powers yet. They're going to send a guy to try to kill you before they can't. Right. And so I'm like, well, what the fuck do I do? And they're like, we don't know, but he was flagged entering the United States, like known guy, and we couldn't catch him. Like, we don't know where he's at. He could show up anytime. And this is important. When you're in a psychosis, you just know these things. They're fact. It's fact. It is a fact. It is a fact. It's happening in your mind. You just know it's there and you just listen and adhere to it. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm like, oh shit, oh shit. Like, you know, what am I going to do? And he's like, you got to get some weapons like this guy he the way that they said he was good at killing people was he would he was a very small person and he could hide inside the walls and that that when you fell asleep you he would inject you with the bubonic plague and you would die from the bubonic plague and now i'm like okay okay and i'm like don't worry about sleeping i got fucking two pounds of fucking meth or a quarter pound of meth i have a shit ton of meth yeah and I'm like, I got that covered, dude. Like, I'm not going to sleep. So it's, it's, it, it spins to a point where I start doing meth strictly to stay awake. Like, that is my goal. Mm. So I'm doing meth to stay awake, and I'm going to catch this fucking Russian serial killer guy, right? Mm-hmm. So all this crazy shit's happening. Um, you know, I'm... At a certain point, I think, like... So my dad worked for Lockheed Martin, and he was part of certain top secret projects... 
back then I think they're public knowledge now but back then they were considered like top secret or no you can't talk about them so I started thinking to myself like oh shit like now that the the Russian the Russian guy has reported the next door neighbors which he didn't even know they were my parents the next door neighbor is knows top secret information so we're going to try to kill him too and take his whatever information he's got and I started thinking like my mom uh, was a telepath and the government was like no he's been protected your mom's actually a telepath that's how you got your wizard powers like all this I mean it's just getting yeah, crazy you're in a crazier. manic state of psychosis yeah, all this it's shit's just going getting wild. fucking wild you know yeah. all this stuff and I'm one night I'm looking for Slim who has who I have named the guy that is in the walls right and I'm out on my I, I had gotten a giant machete and a blowtorch okay and I was actively for a couple days at least actively like seeking this dude out and I was trying to trip him out and I would like take the sword and I'd drag it across the walls and stuff to try yeah, to freak yeah, him yeah, out. Yeah, 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 yeah. Get him I out of the like, wall. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm doing all this stuff and like I'm like hiding. Like I would find like a hiding spot like in the attic. So I would crawl up in my attic and like sit in the walk across the beams and sit in the far corner and sit there for like three or four hours. Like, waiting to see if I can catch this yep. dude moving around. Yep, yep. You know what I'm saying? And I'm, like, tripping myself out at this point. Um, but uh, one night, I exited the house, which was not a good idea, and I made my way to the roof. Like, I climbed up on the roof, um, and I'm running around in my underwear with a, blo- a lit blowtorch in a giant machete. And one of the neighbors saw, and they called the police. So the police call, show up, like four or five cops show up at this, like, you can hear them coming from a mile away. They're hauling ass, like, <laughs> yo, something crazy's going down. So they show up and they're like, you know. You're on the roof with a machete and a blowtorch. Is it nighttime or daytime? It's like getting, it is. Dusk? Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> is it here where we're at? Like the house it is next? It's in the house next door. It's right by Lake Lanier? <laughs> yeah, on Lake Lanier. <laughs> So, Man, so they show up. They don't pull any guns on me, right? Right, because they're obviously like, this is a crazy kid, dude. You're a 22-year-old, yeah. normal-looking kid on the roof with a blowtorch and yeah. a, and a so machete. They're like, yeah, so they're like, throw everything off the roof. So I did. I oh, threw yeah. everything off the roof, yeah. and I tried to explain to them what was happening. Because, like you said, you know yeah. for a fact, it's happening. It's happening, and they'll, and, they'll and, understand. Yeah. And at the same time, I'm down with the U.S. government. Like, Absolutely, I'm a fucking wizard, dude. dude. Of course you're going to fucking... Oh, yeah. You know? Matter of fact, glad you guys are here. <laughs> yeah, actually. We can get to the bottom of this yeah, together. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So I was very receptive that they showed up. Oh, yeah. And they're like, why don't you come down or whatever? And I was like, okay. And I didn't. they didn't mean for me to jump off the roof, but I did. <laughs> I did jump off the roof. You weren't thinking. You were just no, like, all right, I was down. like, yeah, no problem, dude. I mean, it's one story, so I mean, it's not... <laughs> I wouldn't call it the most graceful landing, but like, I didn't fuck myself up or anything. But they definitely weren't expecting me to jump off the roof. Anyways, so they come. They don't even try to handcuff me immediately or anything like that, right? They're just trying to figure out what the well, fuck is happening, on. right? Yeah. Because they're like, "Who lives here? Whose house is this?" And I was like, "It's my house." Yeah. And they're like, "Oh, okay." Well, what? <laughs> you know? yeah. So they're well, trying to figure. Up, the, they're trying to figure this shit out, right? Yeah. The more I am talking to them I think the, and to me like I'm picking up like these dudes like they didn't even try to arrest me yet like all this stuff happened and I got the, the government agent over here in my mind like go with them go with them yeah and I'm like word I was like you know blah 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 and they convinced me like hey you want to come with us 
Yeah. Because they, they're, at this point, I think they know I'm fucking insane. Yeah, yeah they're going to take you to the psych ward. Yeah, so they're like, you want to come with us? And I'd be like, absolutely, dude. Like, let's go. Yeah, and they're like, no all. problem, dude. We'll give you a ride. <laughs> <laughs> I think they were just playing it up. Like, if we can get them in the fucking car, oh, yeah. it's over, dude. You know dude, what I'm that's saying? that's the one thing I learned, man. Is like, when someone's in psychosis, you just roll along with them, dude. Yeah, so I get in the car, and yeah, they take me straight to fucking the, the hospital. And they're like, yo, we need to find out, like, what kind of shit he's on. Mm-hmm. So at that point, like, I have a police guard. I'm like, okay, my fucking telepath fucking government agent is still back here telling me, like, it's just the process. It's all good. Yeah, like, yeah. you know. You're a fucking grand wizard, dude. You need yeah. protection, dude. Yeah. So I'm, and, and I've never been in handcuffs in this whole process. So, like, I'm like, yo, we're good. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to jail, right? Which I didn't go to jail. I went to the fucking psych ward in Peachford, but they 1013 me. Right. And they're like, we're taking you to Peachford. And I was like, okay, like, what's up? And the and the whole time, my little government agent guy is just confirming everything. The they're, they're, yeah. Yeah. It, this, yeah. It's yeah. totally normal. You know, you question it for a second, and then you hear the voice. Like, no, no, it's all good, dude. Like, Yeah, yeah. You're totally disconnected with reality. You're living in your own world, and, and you are the most important mm-hmm. thing that's happening, and the voice in your head uh, affirms it at yeah. all at all aspects. Yeah, so we do all that stuff, and I go to Peachford, and, like, a couple days go by. And, like, I quit hearing voices. You did? Yeah, I did. Like, three days go by. I slept for most of them. But, like, I stop hearing the voices after a couple days, and I start to get, like, nervous. I'm like, yo, like, they abandoned me. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, because I'm still not sure... If it's not happening. Right. And like I, every now and then a voice would pop in just for a little bit. Right. Yeah. And he would be like, the meds they're giving you are, are like, like blocking your powers. Right. So you can't hear me anymore. Cause you have to be a telepath to communicate with a telepath. Right. Obviously. Right. You know, and I'm like, fuck. And I wanted to stop taking the medicine. You know, they put me in the taco. I don't know if you know what a taco, yep. you know what the taco we, is. Is that the, 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 the bed with the Velcro thing yeah, they yeah, put yeah. on you and they'll just. They'll make you take the medicine. Right. So we tried not taking the medicine, and I got the taco and some Thorazine and drooled on myself in a corner for about an hour and a half. Yeah, bro. You know, so I did that, and then I was like, okay, just take the fucking medicine. But the more time that goes on, like, the more there's no more voices. Uh There's no more Russian spies. There's no more... Self-importance. Yeah. I mean, like, all this stuff is just, yeah, there's no more mission. Everything's gone, and you're back. And like I, I was so depressed, dude. It's that's people don't understand that that when the psychosis ends, it sucks. You miss the feeling. Yeah, no, and I wasn't even mad about not doing drugs no, or anything like that. Yeah. I was like, I, are you telling me I'm not a wizard? Yeah, it's like that's that was the depressing part. And I tell people that all the time, and most of my recovery friends make fun of me for being like, oh, he really wanted to be a wizard. And I was like, if you were a wizard, you would want to fucking be a wizard too, dude. Yeah, dude. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, I mean, like, yeah, I was, like, severely, severely depressed that I wasn't a wizard. Kind of like we were talking the other day. Like, there is a fantasy up here, and the psychosis will run with that shit. Whether you're a fucking action when, when, hero man, when my psych- whatever. Man, when my psychosis ended... Two weeks after it ended, I went back to shooting up heroin. I started shooting up heroin. Like, I just... It was just... You know, I, I didn't... I didn't know how to... I just knew... I went back to what I knew to feel good. So, I get out of Peachford. The police showed up while I was gone. Uh, my probation officer for house arrest. Because you have to remember, I'm awaiting a fucking drug trafficking trial. That's right. 
So they show up and they're like, where's he at? And, um, you know, they're like, he's in rehab. And they're like, oh, he's in rehab. He's not supposed to be doing anything. Like, what? So they're calling the rehab. So, like, I'm super depressed. I'm not a wizard. The rehab's telling me you got cops fucking looking for what you. What rehab are you at? Peachford Hospital. Oh, still at Peachford. You've been there a couple weeks. I was there for, like, two weeks. Okay. So I was there for, like, three or four days in the psych ward. Yeah. And then they, I think I was there for about eight or nine days. In the halfway? In a, no, in a uh, a different unit, not the psych ward. Okay, okay. Um, with, like, regular meetings and yeah, all that yeah, kind and of stuff. Yeah, and you can go to the kitchen and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So we've been we've been around the block. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, you get to go to the little meeting they bring into the basketball. Yeah, basketball. <laughs> man. You get yeah, the visitor so, passes. People come in with their big books. Absolutely. Yeah. So I get out of Peachford. The Peachford's basically saying, you know, we're not going to tell them anything. We'll basically we can neither confirm nor hippo. deny. Yeah. We can either confirm nor deny anything that you're asking. Of course, the PO's trying to fucking knock the door down to oh, yeah. fucking see what's up. So the second I get out of Peachford, literally the same day, uh, my parents pick me up from Peachford and they're like, we got to take you to see your probation officer. (laughs) They know where you're at. They're going to come. They know you get out today. They know like all this shit. And I'm like, fuck it. Like, all right. Like, I'm basically so depressed. I'm just like, fucking do whatever. I don't care. Yeah. So we go to the PO. The PO does all this stuff. The, you know, this and that ends up. I don't even come home from the probation officer. We're going to, we're going to jail. Really? Yep. So we're going to jail. I'm on my way to jail because mainly I was on house arrest and I couldn't leave for anything, even to go to Peachford Hospital. All right. You know, so I violated the probation. They were just waiting for me to do something, anything they could do. to. They didn't want to let me out in the first place. Right. So I'm in jail waiting to be sentenced. I get sentenced. They sentenced me to five years in prison. For the trafficking. For the trafficking. Okay. Now... I was at Cobb County Jail, mm-hmm. um, and my lawyer was like, you'll probably only do about two years okay. and get out on parole, Okay, which is ultimately what did end up happening. But okay. I get sentenced to five years to the door, and uh, when I'm in Cobb County, it kind of like sets in on me like, fuck five years. Like my old gangster Frank Lucas self comes out. And I'm on a work detail. Like, I've got a suite in Cobb County, right? And my lawyer's like, you might be able to do all of it right here in Cobb County. Like, it could take him forever to ship you off, right? Mm-hmm. He's like, sometimes it's not crazy to do a year, year and a half in a jail. Right. You know? So I'm thinking to myself, like, okay, maybe I'll never... I've never been to prison yet. Yeah. Right? <clears throat> but I, I'm on this work detail in the new part of the jail. So you get on this box truck, load it up with the food, and I ran the kitchen in the new... The tower. Right. So you have to actually go outside of the fence on the box truck for like 50 yards. Okay. So you have to leave the jail, go about 50 yards around, and enter the new jail. Okay. And I got this plane in my head, and I planned it for a couple days. I'm going to jump off the back of the box truck while it's moving. They're not going to know. One of my buddies' houses are right off of County Services Road. Like, I could run there, and I'm going to go to fucking Mexico. Okay. (laughs) Right? Yeah. Reasonable. I mean, looking at two, five years? Okay. So I jump off the... Uh, today's the day, right? Uh-huh. I have had the plan for a while. I got it all worked out. I jump off the back of the box truck. Now, the two dudes... There's two guys in there with me, other inmates. And when I jump off the back of the box truck, they're like, oh, shit, right? And I had this thing because they, they're not driving very fast. They're driving, what, f- five miles an hour? Yeah. 
You know, so in my head, I'm like five miles an hour, ain't shit, I'm gonna hit the ground running, right? Yeah. Not what happened at all. I hit the ground and busted my ass fucking all over the place. Damn. The truck stops immediately. I take off running. There is a gravel ring around the perimeter, I guess you could call it, the Cobb County Jail. I made it about to the perimeter before I hear a gunshot. Damn. It's not a it's not a bullet, it is a beanbag. Uh-huh. They clocked me in the center of my back with a beanbag, and I did one of those like movie things where I'm full sprint. And you get hit with something, and like your whole body gets lifted off the ground. And you're like, <laughs> and you just fucking I face planted in like scorpion, like I skidded in my on gravel. Damn, I fucked my shit all up, dude. Damn. And they hog tied me with like zip ties yep. and threw me in the back of the box truck and just waited for the six hours to end. I just stayed in the box truck for six hours, hog tied and zip zip ties. And they come back, they throw me in the hole, they decide they will not give me any further charges for attempting to escape the jail. Really? Yeah. Because they fucked you up. Yeah. And uh, they were like, we are going to list you as a flight risk. Uh-huh. So, and, and I'm getting fast-tracked to prison because they don't want to fucking deal with me. Yeah, not a cop county. Yeah, so they're like, okay, you're on the bus like next week to go to prison. So I fast-tracked myself to prison, and as a flight <laughs> risk... They will not keep you in one location for more than three months. So even I, in prison, in prison. So, so I am now. I have made myself a flight risk, which makes you like a, a like a target. I don't. It's not a target, but it's like it. It puts something on your file that yes. says you have to continuously move this guy. So 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 are you? Is this your starting length of your sober time? Uh, no, because we get out at the, and I have a week where I did ice like two days after I got out and ended up in the closet. And that's when it starts. But how did you get out if you were in prison? You were, so hold on. How did you, when did you get out to do the ice? So I was like 23. So I ended up, I ended up doing just over 18 months in prison. Oh, so you used after you got out of prison. Yeah. About okay. two days after. Okay, so, so you I don't, like you all this, like all the age, the yeah. timelines is, is kind of rough. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm just trying to get a, a narrative on it with the. Yeah, so the prison, I'm actually, I'm not, I am sober in prison. Like, I don't have the money to do drugs. In, yeah, you're in just prison. in prison. I'm what was that prison. like? What'd you do? Uh, it really wasn't as bad. I would rather be in prison than be in jail. <laughs> right. First off, prison is much looser. Uh-huh. Uh huh. They let you outside, you can walk around. 18 months is a long ass time. Yeah, just over 18 months that I... But but for a five-year sentence, that's not bad. I know, but still, what did you do for 18 months, bro? Uh, I read a lot of books. Uh, You don't really have too much time to get any solid friends because I did move a lot. So I went to Jackson for diagnostics. Uh Uh, I went down to Dooley. Uh, We went up, back upstate to Rogers, and then I went back down south to Valdosta, and then I went to Phillips to be released. So if you're being released... Uh, and you're in the prison system, they'll find the closest they'll be get in contact with your family and they'll say like where's where do you live? And we'll transfer him to the closest prison right. so you can pick him up. Um so I Phillips, can't even, I can't even imagine doing eighteen months in a prison, dude. So it's it's really not that bad. In fact, eighteen months, like you say you have five years, but everyone in the prison system kinda knows like Unless you did like some violent crime, uh-huh. which it, it wasn't a violent crime, I didn't beat anyone up, shoot anyone, something like that. Uh, like you're gonna get out on good behavior, you're gonna get parole, you're gonna do all this stuff. Um, I didn't even have to go on parole. Parole's a little more strict than like probation. Oh yeah. Which I did have probation as a term to get out. Okay. 
Um, but you get like a good behavior clause and like your days are counting for like three, four or five days type shit. Right. Yeah. Um, so I do the time I'm bouncing around a lot, but basically I just kept my nose down. There are gangs and shit in prison. It's not like they're going to actively search you out. Kind of like you might see in the movie. Like, oh, he's a white dude that's got some tattoos. Like the Aryan Brotherhood's going to come hit me up. That's how I always picture. I figured that nobody really gives a shit. Um, essentially they do give a shit. Um, but the prison system is good at containing them. They'll keep the Aryan Brotherhood in their own space and the Bloods. I mean, I don't know. Whatever the yeah, gangs are. There's gang. ton. There's tons of different, different gangs ones, in prison. Yeah. There's a lot of them. Oh, yeah. Um, but the essays. Yeah, dude. Fucking <laughs> most of most of the people, more than half of the people, are just dudes in jail, prison, whatever, trying to get out. Yeah. But in prison, you can you can get TVs in your cell. You can get radios. You can. Get, Did I mean, you get TVs? Um, one of my, a couple of my cellmates had TVs. Some of the guys who had been there for a long time, cause you work and make money in prison. What about masturbation? How did that happen? So that's typically that we would have a, like a shower. Okay. So you had a community shower, right? But it was kind of an unspoken thing, even though there's four or five showers like in there, Uh it's all just one room. Uh Uh, typically they're going to be like, uh. We close it off. Everyone is just going to take a shower one at a time. Like, even other dudes don't want to be in there with other dudes. Right, right, right. So, typically, if you're going to fucking rub one out, dude, it's going to be in the shower because that's about the only time you have any alone time. Right. You know, not to say that fucking other guys didn't do other shit. That's how I did it. I was like, if you're in the shower, no one wants to fucking see your shit anyways. Like, it's a bunch of dudes. So, you already are pretty much the most privacy you're going to get is in the shower. Right. Did you ever so, get nervous the first time you did it? Let yeah, yeah in? absolutely. I was like, they're going to fucking Walk catch me in here and fucking jerking my shit off, dude. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, that kind of shit goes through your head. But after a minute, you quit giving a fuck, dude. Yeah. You're like, I don't care, dude. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, you, you start to learn. You start to know things. Like, you, it's unspoken. A lot of the shit... In, now, here is one difference from prison and jail. In jail... Um, if you do something wrong to someone, you're probably just going to throw some words around, maybe get in a fist fight. Yeah, in jail. In jail. Yeah. In prison, and here's the tough thing. No one is going to tell you you're doing something wrong. Right. You're just going to immediately, at some, you won't even know you did anything wrong, and the next thing you know, you're getting shanked. Like, they don't fist fight, they will k- try to kill you. Right. So, you know, I was lucky enough to kind of know some of the stuff already. Um, but I had a guy that was kind of helping me out a little bit. You know what I'm saying? He was like, don't do this, don't do that, blah, blah, blah. And you should be fine. Got Stick it. to your fucking self. Don't cut any deals with nobody. Don't Don't fucking... get involved. Yeah. yeah. You're only going to be here for 18 months, read a lot of books, play a lot of chess, play some cards, call it a day. Dude. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So that's what I did. And the d- different prisons kind of had a few different things they would do different. Uh-huh. Uh, but for the most part, it was all the same. You know, so I bounced around every couple months. I'd get packed up, pack your bags, fucking, you get on the bus, drive somewhere for fucking 10 hours in handcuffs and fucking, it was terrible. Mm. Um, eventually, though, I do get out. I get out and like two days later, I I get some ice, my well, buddy. Well, what's the first thing you did when you got out? Take me back to that day, dude. Um, so I get out, I'm in Phillips, I'm at Phillips Are you State. looking forward to this day for like yeah, weeks coming up absolutely, to it? absolutely, absolutely. Um, so, you know, I get out and, uh, my parents pick me up uh-huh. and they're like, what do you want to do? 
like, what do you want to do? And I was like, I want to go eat some food first off. Oh, yeah. Where'd you choose? Wendy's, because that was Fuck the closest yeah, fucking place. I got get a big old fat baconator. baconator. <laughs> gotta get that baconator, I got bro. a baconator and a fucking chocolate frosty, dude. Man. It was so fucking good. Damn, I, It tore my stomach up. <laughs> oh, yeah. I wasn't ready for it, dude. I wasn't ready for it. So we get out where we we have a, a not too long of a drive. I mean, the, the Phillips State is about an hour and a half, two hours away from here. Um, you, the funny thing is, you would not believe where some of these prisons are. Like you're like In the a, of like two miles away from an elementary school. Oh yeah, they're yeah. very good at hiding them. Right. So it's like you know, I get picked up, we eat some food, we come back here. I'm good. I have like a day, day and a half, where my parents are kind of like, "What's the plan?" Like, everything's done. I had a date. I had to report to uh, felony probation. Uh-huh. Because uh, the deal was you have seven years of felony probation after you get out. Right. So I'm like, okay. Let me ask you this before you... While you were in, were you ever having cravings, thoughts, or imaginations of wanting to use? Yeah, all the time. Okay. Because there's a lot of stuff where you're just sitting around with nothing better to do than just fucking daydream. So you were just daydreaming about, you know, the coke, the weed, the, the mm-hmm. meth, everything. You were just like, oh, man, I can't wait to Yeah, at this point, anymore. the money's gone. Did you, I did have you no know money. What, what recovery was at all, really? Yeah, yeah. So I had been to a rehab out in California. I had been to Peachford the one other time. Right. So we tried the rehab out in California thing. And I went out to California with, like, passages of Malibu. Go get fucking cured. Yeah. And, you know, it was like a resort. Like, if today they were like, would you like to come back to this treatment center? Really? I'd be like, dude, I'm yes. going too, dude. Yeah, I'd be like, absolutely, Fuck I yeah. want to go. I'll go right now. I'll get another problem. <laughs> yeah. We'll dude. talk about yeah. it out there. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, did you, what was your understanding in your in your own relation personally with alcoholism or addiction? Were you, uh, when you were in prison, were you aware? So I had a very, were there any meetings? Did you ever? Yeah. Did you go to them? Yeah. Well, in that treatment center, they make you go to them. I know, but I mean in prison. Oh, in prison? No, not at all. Okay, in prison, you weren't even They They had a recovery presence in there. But you didn't even give it any time of day. No. So you weren't even thinking, I'm done at all. You were just like, I can't wait to get out. I'll get fucked up again. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. It wasn't necessarily tied to getting fucked up, but I mean, I knew who I was. Like, as soon as I got out, I was going to do what I... Just do what you always done. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you got to think I have a very skewed... uh, idea of what addiction really is because a lot of people get into an addict like it starts to hit home when there is no money but you're scrounging and stealing every day to get this stuff like i didn't have to steal from nobody i didn't have to i never hit those low points right that the carpet crawling craving type i never Um, hit that i just had it mom give me some money yeah i never not ever had that experience right um, you know, so my, my, my vision of recovery is like so skewed. I'm like, how did these people fucking, I had seen them. I sold drugs to a lot of them. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. But it's like, you know, I'm like, I never had a problem. You know, you might withdraw for a couple of days, but it, the events that happened while you're withdrawing were also really traumatic events. Mm-hmm. So it's like part of it is like, am I just like super depressed right now or what? Like, I yeah, don't know. You just don't know. Yeah. And with speed... It's not like opiates. So with speed, I think you get like cold sweats and stuff, but like it's it's mainly mental. Absolutely. So it's like, you know, I'm not in physical pain. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's like the withdrawal's not that bad or whatever. Um, so, you know, I get out and then about two days goes by and, you know, I'm like, oh, I got to get some of the ice again. That's just fire. Like apparently I t- developed a taste for fucking amphetamines 
while I was over here being a wizard, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I, I got I got not even that much, dude. I got like a gram of meth because at this point the money's gone. Like I don't have it like I used to have it. I'm I'm a fucking normal dude again. Yeah. You know, I don't have a fucking job, and I'm like you know 22, 23 years old. Yeah. So it's like, well, now fuck, right? Yeah. I'm fucked now. <laughs> you know, my plug is gone. Because uh, at that point in time, they had been raided, shut down. Most of them got deported. Damn. Yeah. So, I mean, they were asking questions about them back in the day. So I was like, yeah. you know, they're gone, dude. It's only a matter of time. Yeah, so all that stuff happens. I do ice. I get a gram of ice and I'm, you know, chilling. I'm up here at this house right here. And, uh, you know, I'm like, oh, I got to wait till the parents go to sleep. I'm new to all this shit, right? I can't just fucking rip a fucking swirl of bowl of ice out here when my parents <laughs> are fucking chilling in the living room. Like, right. I can't do that anymore, yeah. right? So this is all new to me, right? Uh-huh. So I'm like, I got to, like, hide. I've never had to do that before ever. You know? So it's like, okay, you know, I'm going to wait till they go to bed and I'm going to do all this stuff and blah, blah, blah. And I had this plan and I ripped the ice and... I don't even think I got through a bowl of, of ice before, like, and a couple hours had went by. Like, I didn't just rip the whole bowl, like, off the rip. Yeah. You know, but a couple hours go by, and I'm, like, full-fledged wizard mode again, right? Oh, it just clicked right in, right back like in. I'm, like, in 30 minutes, I was a wizard. Voices again? Everything. Everything. And wow. they were just telling me, like, oh, yeah, all this stuff happened, and we were just trying to lay low. Like, it literally picked up where it left right off. Where it left. <laughs> And I was like, oh, it's all good, back. dude. I was like, oh, it's all good, man. What's yeah, up? Like, how you been, dude? You know We're what I'm back. saying? Yeah. yeah. And, uh, but it took like a really weird turn. And I think it was because like, normally I'm not trying to hide anything. I think just mentally me having to like, now I'm like hiding it. And like, I have to be careful. I can't just fucking roll around my parents' crib with a blowtorch and a machete. They'll freak out. You know what I'm saying? So I think it put me in a really negative mind space. Right. And it started to create, like I'm starting to visualize, uh, you know, not not like physically visualize, but in my head, I'm like, you know, I can feel things in my, in my brain. Mm-hmm. And then it started getting me worried. And then I was trying to figure out what it was. And then I used my wizard powers to like detect the inside of my body. And at some point, the Slim never went away. He was here the whole time, and he injected me with, like, bug larva. Mm. And they were starting to, like, hatch, and mm. they were eating the inside of my body. Mm. And so, you know, a couple hours of that, and I ended up in the fucking closet with a knife to my throat. Mm. And I was like, I'm not going to die this way. Like, and I, and I, and like, am feeling, like, I can feel, like, pain, like, all over my butt. Not all over, but, like, isolated spots, like bee stings, like, bee sting, bee sting, bee sting. Bee yeah, sting. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm, like, <clears throat> and I'm like twitching. I'm like freaking the fuck out, right? Yeah. And I'm like, yo, I can't do it. Like, I'm not going to die this way. Right. Because the FBI agent or whoever, he's like, yo, you got like 30 hours until you're fucking dead. And he's like, it's going to be slow and it's and you're, it's not going to stop. So I'm like, we're I'm not doing that. You know, I'm not doing that. And I get tased. I get, Wait a whoa, whoa, whoa. You end up with a knife to your throat. Your mm-hmm. parent, how did you, so where... Do you remember, did you approach your parent? Who saw you that you were fucked up? I was making a ton of noise, rustling around, because I was trying to find a gun. And I could not find a gun, but I have knives. So that's why I ended up with the fucking knife. And I'm like ripping the closet apart, trying to do all this stuff. And it's like 3 o'clock in the morning. 
So my parents, asleep, I had woken them up, like, knocking shit around or whatever. And they come down. My dad comes down to see what's going on. And, like, he tries to open up the closet door. And I, like, slam it back closed. And I'm like, you need to leave. And he obviously knows something's going on. He's like, what's going on in there? Whatever. And I was like, I'm looking for a gun. Don't worry about it. Obviously, he was like, okay. And he just, like, left and, and he immediately called the police. Right. Um, but I didn't hear anything else from him. So I thought he was just like, okay, you can uh, fucking whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> as long as you're not doing anything too stupid. <laughs> so, yeah, within, like, ten more minutes probably or not very much longer, you know, I am hearing, like, hey, how you doing in there? And I'm like, what? And it's the cops. You know, and he's there, you know, my parents met him out in the driveway and all this stuff. And they said, you know, just tell me what's going on. Oh, he's in the closet looking for a gun, this and that. And they're like, okay, you know, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, is there a gun in the closet? Like, can he shoot us? Yeah. You know, what is, what does he have? Right. And he's like, he could get a knife. He could do this there. They, my parents were smart enough to take all the guns out of the house. Mm. So we had no guns in the whole house. I okay. didn't know that, but yeah. that's why I couldn't find a gun. <laughs> yeah, they, yeah. <laughs> so your wizard powers didn't help. No, <laughs> not at all. So eventually, they they cracked the door open. The closet, like I've ripped the shelves off the wall. There's clothes all over the floor. There's shit everywhere, and eventually, like the cop gets the door open and off. He's like, "I'm just trying to see what's up," and I'm like, curled up in the corner. Like, sitting on the ground, like, looking up at the ceiling. Like, this is it. Like, it's go- some shit's about to go down. And he kind of makes his way in and, and moves to the farthest point of the closet as possible. And he doesn't have anything up. And, in fact, he's keeping his hands, like, up here. Right. And he's just trying to talk to me. Right. He's like, what's going on, man? What's up? Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. And his partner kind of comes in. And he's like, oh, hey, how you doing, man? And they're, like, su- being super nice, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Up until they immediately were just in the mid- middle of a conversation. We're just like, pow, with tasers. And they both just shot me, just, like, quick draw style. Where were you? Were you were you still on the ground or did you stand up? I was up? sitting on the ground. Okay. I was sitting on the ground, leaned back into the corner, and I had, the, like, the knife. And there's a knife, like, this big. Long knife huge, up to your big throat. big knife up to my throat. So about right here. And I think they just thought like From this is... From the middle is, of your chest to your mm-hmm. neck, yeah. Yeah, and so like I think they just thought like, you know, maybe he's off guard enough that I can just fucking tase the shit out of him right now. I mean, you know, the goal is to get the knife Subdue, out of my hand. Yeah. yeah. So they did. So their hands up, they're talking, they're like, eh, hey, cool to meet you. Wow, dude. Yeah. Taser's flying. I mean, we had probably a 10 or 15 minute conversation. Okay. Before they just drew and tased the shit out of Yeah, I mean... That, I, when I was working at Ridgeview, I used to have to de-escalate a lot of people. And a lot of the times it was like you just were going and talking to figure out the type of force you were going to need to use. Because sometimes you can de-escalate someone and you can, you know, they'll, they'll lower their guard and you can do something that you couldn't normally do. But if someone's staying, like I had a girl who had a knife on her wrist and was just slitting her wrist in real time. And it's like, you have to go right now. And so they saw a window. They took the shot. Yep. You get tased. I get tased. Uh, have you ever been tased before? Uh-uh. So imagine just, have you ever had like a really bad like hamstring cramp or calf cramp yeah, yeah, or something? Yeah, yeah. And it just locks up and you can't do anything about Nothing, it. Nothing, dude. Imagine that just over your whole body. And I just Ooh. remember in my mind, I was like, just stick the knife in your throat. Just stick the knife in your throat. And I couldn't move. Oh. I was like, just do it. Just do it. Like, why can't you do it? Like, that's what's going through my that's, mind. So you were going to follow through with it. Yeah. 
Bro. I was like, because I, I was like, if they get me, the bugs are gonna eat me alive, and it's gonna be terrible. Damn, those police officers took a risk with shooting that tase, dude. Yeah, I could. I they hit me with two tasers, Whew. and I I could not fucking move at all. I got I b- b- just barely got through some, but that's as far as I could go. Because when I saw him reach, when I saw him reach, I tried to do it. Bro, that took some balls for them to fire those shots, dude. So they yeah, so I got tased. I'm bleeding out of my neck. In your mind, you're thinking like, how do I keep this kid from killing himself? Mm -hmm. That's all you're thinking. How do I make it so this kid does not hurt himself? Mm -hmm. And so their like concern is like all for you. God, that's that's hard, dude. That's fucking tough. Yeah. So you know, I'm blocked up. I can't do anything. I was able to cut not very deep, but a little bit enough to leave a fucking scar on my neck, right there. But um, you know they put some gauze on it it wasn't very bad like i didn't get that maybe that far you know and uh they took the tasers out they put me in the fucking ambulance i went to the hospital i stayed at the hospital for a couple days under suicide watch and they 1013 me to peachford and i've been sober ever since did the did uh did probation ever get wind of any of this yeah so probation did get wind of it however probation was moved up to forsyth county up here Uh uh-huh um, and because it was a, an actual attempted suicide, uh, they have they can't do anything about it. Really? Um, and they tested me after I was off a of suicide watch, but meth was not in my system. Right. So they were like, okay, he wasn't on drugs, was or at least, I mean, they, they, they can legally, assume that. Right. Legally, we Logi- cannot claim logistically, yeah. that he was doing anything. So you've been so sober I was, ever since. Mm-hmm. And after, after four years... Of being sober, I went to court and got my probation dropped. So now you're just a totally free, ordinary free. I have citizen. no... I have a background. Now, if I went to go apply for a job, you're going to see drug trafficking on my... Okay, so that's, we, all, that's all on your record. Yeah, so I've, I've, I have even gone through the legal system to get as much stuff as I can expunged as possible. And you... Unfortunately, there is nothing you can do about felonies. Not, not a federal case. <laughs> right. <clears throat> so, I have like everything is off of my record, minus the drug trafficking felony. So, if you look, pull up my record and ran a background on me, you would see a felony for drug trafficking, and that's it. So you've been sober ever since Peachford. Has it been tough? Like you ever just wanted to have a beer? Oh yeah, especially in the early days. The early day, I know it's kind of cliche to say, like, especially in the early days, like, it doesn't happen anymore now, but now it's so few and far between, and I know how to deal with it, that it's it's never a, a big deal. Right. Um, you know, I acknowledge it. I address the issue. I'm like, you know, let's, let's take a look at why you want to do these things. And then you get so sidetracked into some of the step work that's involved with, why did you think about that? What... What have you been doing that is now making you think that way and you forget that it even happened? And it becomes about something else, not even about drinking the beer. So what what was your... I know we talked about this yesterday, but what was your mindset once you decided you were done? Like you you got out of Peachford. Did you go to a treatment center or... No, I went to, I went to a halfway house. And you... After and you Were you like, I want to get recovery? Or like, what were you thinking? Um, it wasn't even necessarily, I want to get sober. It was, this shit took me... You know, like, after Peachford, I was able to realize, like... Okay, this shit had you thinking you were going to be eaten alive by bugs and you almost killed yourself. Right. Like, yes. that's, that's, how it, that's how serious it got. 
Yes. You know, kind of like I was saying, like it was, I never hit a, a point where I was like, I'm so depressed, I'm just going to fucking end it all. Like drugs made me think something else was going to kill me in a way that I thought was worse than a way that I could kill myself. Right. So I was like, yo, like I can't, I can't do drugs anymore. If that happens again and I have a gun, like had I had a gun, I'd probably not be here right totally, now. Totally, yeah. You know, and not be, and not for something stupid. It would be like if in real life you were being eaten alive by bugs yeah. from the inside. Well, outside looking in, it would be for that would be a dumb way to die, dude. To yeah. shoot yourself because you did some meth it would be shitty. Yeah. On the inside looking out, you would do it because you were crawling with scarabs from the mummy. Yeah, basically, <laughs> on a smaller yeah. scale. But yes. Yeah. And so, so it like, left a terrible taste in your mouth. You're like, I obviously terrible. don't know how to... I can't do I can't the hand, drug. Yeah, I can't do it anymore. Um, or I could die. Like, it was really life or death so, in my mind. Yeah, it was just like... So okay. I was like, I don't want to die. Like, it was a near-death a near death experience, essentially. Yeah, I was like, I don't want to fucking die. Like, why the fuck... You know, I questioned that shit all the time. I was like, you knew you were on meth. You knew what meth does to you. Like, you be, were a wizard before... Like, why did it just happen to be, like, within one time? One Like, the scary part was I was a wizard, picked up right where it left off in less than an hour of doing doing it once after, like, a year and a half. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. Um, so it's like, you know, it was just scary to me. Like, you're going to fucking kill yourself or something, something, something crazy. Nothing good will happen. You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. So I was like, okay, I just, I just, I can't do it anymore. So I was like, how do I not do it anymore? Because at that point, you're, you know, you've, I've already gone through the withdrawals at this point. I'm like, check me into a halfway house. Like, I have no withdrawal symptoms off of meth. It's mainly a mental thing. Uh-huh. Um, and it's like, okay, like, you know, the the mental the mental craving. I'm starting to learn like how how mentally addicting it is to feel that way. Oh, yeah. Because being sober was like feeling like I was fucked up. If that makes any sense. You didn't feel normal. Yeah. No. Not normal at all. I wasn't comfortable. Okay. Anywhere. So it was like, okay. And, were you, and you're having thoughts from time yeah, to time? Yeah, all the time. Like, dude, it, you know, maybe you got a bad... Like, I tried to convince myself it was a bad batch. Like, you just got some fucking crazy way out there shit that made you think some crazy shit. Yeah. You know, whatever. And I tried to convince myself forever. Like, it, you know, if you just did it again, like, it wouldn't be that bad. You know, but for whatever reason, I was like, I don't want to die, and it, I could potentially die. Like, you're rolling the dice. Are you going to die or not? And not for the reason, like, I shot up heroin and overdosed, or I did this and that happened, or I'm depressed enough that I'm in a sad state and I might just kill myself or whatever. I was like, yo, you'll fucking trip out, think some shit that's not really happening is happening, and you'll off yourself you know like i'm do it yeah yeah i'm just rolling the dice in my mind i'm trying to make it serious enough that it's like don't fucking take the chance you know you got a you got probably less than a 50 percent chance of making it out of that you know what i'm saying yeah so it's like okay you know what what are you gonna do and i didn't you know i had been to the treatment centers but it was like an ultimatum every time i went if you don't go this is gonna happen if you don't do that this is gonna happen you know what i'm saying other than the blowtorch machete incident where i was 10 13 to peach for that time as well yeah you know i ended up in the psych ward but it's like you know i was like okay take suggestions like just do what the halfway house is telling you to do that's what this is their fucking job right so that's what i did i took suggests kind of like you hear fake it till you make it like i wouldn't say that i was faking it i would say i was trying to figure out how to do it 
but you know, like I wasn't the super experienced dude that came in that had all the been to treatment five times and knew what the fuck was going on. Mm. You know, so I was just, you know, my sponsor at the time, who I told you I got my sponsor, was one that was ran the, the ran halfway the halfway house. house. Yeah, and he one of the big things he was big on was just take suggestions from people who do know what the fuck they're doing. Because yeah. I had had the conversation like I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. And he's like, just do what other people are telling you to do. That ha- Not someone that's got 30 days, but someone that's got some time yeah. that has been around the block that is going to give you some valuable advice. Right. And I did that for like eight, nine months. You know, I went to my meetings it's because someone told me to. Uh-huh. I got my sheet signed because somebody told me to. I went to work because somebody told me to. I did step work because somebody told me to. I mean, like literally, it was just do, do what, what you're, you're told. told. Yeah. And I just did that. For like nine months. And then what happened? And then I, after that, you know, or even before nine months, like I started to, to be, you know, have enough step work. I had done a fourth and a fifth step. I'm on the sixth step. I'm starting to kind of get into it. Like right. myself. Like I am personally interested in this stuff about myself. So it's it's causing a positive effect. Yes. And you can feel it. Mm-hmm. And I am, it's no longer like... Oh, I have to go here at 7.30 p.m. and go over the big book with this specific guy. It was like, why can't I just read the big book on my sofa and take away from it what I want to? So I started actively doing these things like on my own. Like other than what you're expected or told to do. Like you could just instead of just playing Xbox or whatever during your free time... You know, I'm going I'm to do this because I'm more interested in figuring this out. You know what yeah, I'm saying? yeah, yeah. It started to make sense to you. Yeah. So before a year, you know, I'm starting to do all this stuff and I kind of figure out a way that works for me. So I've taken all these things that people have been telling me to do and I don't even know like how effective those things are. So I started to adapt those things to what I feel like would affect me more right. in a positive way. Right. So this then is I started really cool right here because yeah. this is at this point, you're nine months sober, going into a year sober and you're, you're making recovery your own. We're following orders, we're taking suggestions, we're doing what we're told all the way up to this point. Then all of a sudden it's like, you know what? Let me try, because I'm actually interested now. This thing is Mm -hmm. working. I'm feeling better than I've ever felt, probably. Mm -hmm. Let me try to do it. uh, Let me try to make recovery work for me. Yeah, like let me adapt. Let me adapt it to me. Yeah. You know, so we start dabbling in that. And, um, you know, I stayed at the halfway house just because it was comfortable. I was comfortable there. I was surrounded by other people. We were all having a good time. All these dudes were in it. To, they were all trying to get sober too. You know, there's always the guys that are going to come drop their bags off and who knows if you see them again or whatever. But there was a large amount of people all there that were doing really fucking good. And so, and, and I can, I'm very good friends with a lot of them today. And it's just, you know, it just clicked really well. And we all kind of build off each other. And it for the long haul. Yeah. I mean, you know. Yeah, that was that was kind of how it was. And uh, around 18 months, I was like, and I'm still at the halfway house. You know, I have at this point, you know, and it's and it kind of changes. I mean, like seven years, like if what I'm doing today was what I was doing back then, I think it would be different. You know what I'm saying? So it's it's a continuously evolving uh, adaptation. Basically, you're always adapting to what fits currently. Uh-huh. Um, so back then, you know, I'm, I'm still playing with all of it. I've kind of got a good routine that I do daily. I'm like, yo, this is it. Um, 
and I'm like, okay, I've, I've got a buddy that I'm like, I, I could move out with this guy. Cause I was really scared. Cause a lot of the people that moved out of the halfway houses, especially together, like, oh, so-and-so and so-and-so, they're real close at the halfway house. We're going to go get an apartment, right? Sweet. Typically, one person would eventually relapse and the other one would either relapse also or be stuck in an apartment with someone who's getting fucked up. Yeah, dude. And it was always a bad situation. So I was oh, yeah. really afraid to get an apartment with someone and I didn't trust myself enough to get my place by myself. Right. So I was like, okay. So I kind of scouted and like looked for who would be a good person that I, you know, I like pursued moving out, um, but in the smartest way I could possibly think of doing it. So we created a, I found a guy, um, still, he's one of my best friends. I was the best man at his wedding, like probably my best friend on this planet today, um, around 18 months. And he didn't even have a year yet. He had maybe nine months. Um, but I could just tell, like, from day one, this dude was about this shit. You know what I'm saying? I could just, I could feel it. You know, it was, it felt genuine. Um, so I took the chance and I moved out with him. And we created a sobriety contract. And we made our landlord include it in his lease. Right. And it basically says, like, if you're in a, if you relapse, you're out. And you're still responsible for your half of the rent. And you have to pay your utilities and all this like legally binding contract. Yeah. So just to give you like an accountability, like if you fuck up out here, like you're you're it's just like you were at the halfway out. Like oh yeah. So we created that uh, with my mom's help. My mom helped us make it. Uh-huh. Uh huh. We both signed it. We had the landlord include it in his lease, and he was like, okay, you know, he was he was kind of skeptical because he was like, wait, you guys are like fucking heroin addicts. <laughs> But he was super cool, and he ended up letting us, because neither one of us, with a felony, he had some felony DUIs and stuff mm-hmm. like that, neither one of us could rent an apartment. with our Like, one of our parents would have to co-sign, and both of our parents were like, we're not co-signing shit. Mm-hmm. You know, if y'all can't make it happen, then it's just, you can't make it happen. Um, so we, we ended up finding, like, a, a condo, uh, rented it from this guy. He was super cool about everything, considering what I was asking him to do. Uh, and he did, and we rented it out, and I lived there for about another year. We filled out the lease, and we kind of both went our own ways. He had met a girl. They wanted to get a house, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I was like, yo, I'm good. Like, I don't want to fucking... They were like, come stay at my house and rent a room out of my house. And I was like, not trying to live with the homie and his girlfriend. No. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I was like, I'm just going to do my own thing, right? Yeah. So I kind of do that. Um, I move in with an... Uh, this is when we touched on this yesterday. So I, there was a point where I got out of you're either all in AA or you're not in AA or, or what. So I'd kind of made a decision like I don't want my whole life to be AA. Right. Like I do want to keep uh, certain parts of it and the things that I want and a support network and people that can all help me assuming things just go to shit again. Right. Like those dudes who, if they don't hear from me in two or three weeks, will just come look for me and drag me back to rehab type shit. Right. So I have that in place. I have all that. They're all still my buddies. I have the accountability still set up because for me, it's like, if it's not in the bed, even though I don't really ever think about that in the back of my mind, if I'm going to some real shit happen, like these dudes would come find me and like and drag this, me to rehab. Do you know what I'm saying? I want to, I want to make it, I'm going to make it as clear as possible because we were talking about this yesterday, but like you're, you send a gratitude list every morning to your sponsor. Every email, day. Every day. 
every day you've been doing it for seven years. Yeah. So you're in constant contact with your sponsor. Yeah. You talk to them once a week, you said. Mm-hmm. You've got sponsees. Yeah. You meet with them. You talk with them at least once a week, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, that's doing the do. Yeah. And, you know, because I think a lot of, at least me, I can speak from my own experience. I get, I always feel like I need to be doing more, you know? I feel that in all aspects of my life, and it always shows up. But with the recovery thing, for some reason, because you, you go to, I, at least I, I've been going, I've always gone, I've been going to, I always go to a lot of meetings. And the meeting is they, they repeat everything over and over again, because mm-hmm. really it's just trying to nail it in for the Keaton that was there from zero to nine months, you yeah. know, but the recovery thing, if done correctly, it travels with you wherever you are, as long as you stay in the middle of the bed In the middle of the bed essentially is working with other alcoholics, which you do every day with your sponsor and you do once a week and twice a week with sponsees. That's what, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of us get confused, especially if someone's listening to this right now who came in, who had experience in prison, who had an experience with meth, who had experience going into detoxes and rehabs and is wondering, do I have to do this AA shit like they're telling me I have to do all the fucking time? And it's like, fuck that life. The, the answer is no, you don't, bro. Yeah. The answer is absolutely. you just you just fo- you just follow the, the path until you feel comfortable enough to make the next step to make the next evolution of your recovery because it's going to go with you and and you don't have to spend your life inside these meetings. Yeah, so it's like I bring it back to adapting to it. I mean, yeah. you just you just adapt to what fits and what I mean, you know, at a certain point in time, you know, I'm struggling with the same thing. I've moved out of the halfway house. I don't have as much accountability. I have this little contract in place, you know, all this kind of stuff. So I'm trying to keep it accountable mainly because of fear. Like I'm afraid I'm I personally will fuck it up, right? Right. So that's still in the back of my mind. Um, but, you know, you you have to have the conversation with yourself. And I'm big on having, like, self-conversations, especially with, like, a bigger decision. So for me, it was like, do I – I was to a, a point where it was like, are you all in AA for the, for the foreseeable future? Or do you want to try to rejoin, essentially, the rest of the population and allow yourself to do these things? The like, land of the living. The, yeah, the land <laughs> of the living. Yeah. You want to be part of the part of the world or do you want to – yeah. I yeah, got because I – you know, you start to, to see how, how broad everything is. And if you just stay in recovery, you're you're limiting yourself to this yes. out, of, out of this. Yes. You know what I'm saying? And it's not that this can't work for you. No, no, no. But I I want this. We want wings. I want the full experience. You know what I'm we saying? We want a, we want a foundation of feathers. Yeah. And we want to be flying. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you know I had that conversation. It was like, do you think you can do that? Like, is are you gonna stay sober doing it? And I was like, I think I can. At that point, I had about two years. Uh-huh. So I had some time under my belt. I, you know, I kind of knew how to navigate things. Like I didn't have two years in. Have you had a had you had a profound spiritual experience? No. Two years in, had you had a, um, uh, I had a follow-up question, but I forgot it. You're two years in. Talking about like a psychic change, maybe like a like a change, like a mental state. Oh no, I remember. What was your relationship with your higher power? What was your whole thing with that? Two years in. So I did. Or the even higher, if there was or wasn't one. So I did the higher power thing, and we kind of touched on this a little bit yesterday too, but. I don't have like, and I kind of struggled with the higher power thing, right? As far as like, because my 
you know, sponsor was like God, this, this, this. Like that's how it is. He's a pretty cut By and dry. The book, yeah, there's no. You either do or you don't. It's like, he wasn't one of those. Oh, if you wanted your doorknob to be the higher power, you could yeah. be the doorknob. Like, no, that nah. was that's not how he rolled. It was really like fire and brimstone type situation. Yeah, there, get a god. Yeah. So I discovered a higher power. It was, and I. It, I have a, a problem with authority in the first place, so I think it, it being a specific person really bothered me. So And a concept. Yeah. So I was like, no one person is greater than me. So part of this two years, you're like, you need to be comfortable being yourself, right? Right. So there was exercises that I used to do, like go to the movies by yourself. Do you know how uncomfortable that was the first time I went to a movie theater Bro. by myself and just watched a movie? I was like, everyone's looking at me. I'm just here by myself. I'm a fucking loser. Like all this shit, right? <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know, all this shit you build up in your head. So I've been working on being comfortable with who I am for like two years. Man, such a so, great experiment. So dude. now I am not cool with anyone being better than me. Like, uh, you know, like... You, it's not that I'm better than you either, but right. I, I don't want any one no person... No human being is, 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 is the power. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I, I through prayer and things like that, and I used to pray, I'm big on, like, visualization. So I just was like, I'm going to visualize it, and whatever pops up into my head, like, that's what it's going to be. Okay. So in my mind, when I am praying, and I am you know started practicing, practicing this visualization stuff... I just pictured like this big, like picture like a plains uh, type scenario with some horses running across the ground. No, but like Utah, just picture Utah (laughs) with a giant, huge, mega thunderstorm. Yeah. And that thunderstorm is, until this day, is my higher power. Mm. You know, I've never seen it in person. It's just like an energy. It's like a force, uh, whatever you want to call it. Right. Um, but for me, that is my higher power. It is something that is that I perceive is greater than myself, and that's the way I picture it in my mind. So, you know, there was a big part of like when you so let, when you read the word God or see the word God, you go great thunderstorm in the sky. Essentially, I don't necessarily say that out loud. Do you feel a connection when people talk about God? Are you able? When I like, do. I do. Like it's okay. Like everything's playing. Like you're you're going to be all right. The will of God stuff. What do you feel with so, that? So. I, I, I'm able to identify with it and I know what the message is that's being sent across. I just don't, you know, and it doesn't bother me. Like, but have you had any experiences in your recovery up to this point that made you go, holy shit, there's something beyond me that's making this world happen? Yes, to an extent. And there's more, those are more like moments of clarity for me. Uh-huh. It's not like a continuous thing. It's very easy to, for, for me to forget that. It is. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I am a person who is, is very much in the present at all times. Right. I don't, you know, I say that there are certain, like, so I, I this is kind of a, uh, something I've dived into very heavily in multiple occasions before is the present. So how much in the present do you need to be for it to be healthy? So when you like, if you're in the, if you are really in the present all the time now, you will never ever be able to plan for the future. So for example, uh, I'm, I'm buying a house, right? Right. So you can't just, the house isn't going to fall in your lap. Like you do have to plan. 
right for that to happen so what extreme are we taking this to is, is the argument absolutely well the mind isn't wired to be able to stay in the present totally it's... correct correct so i stay in the present as much as i like right now day-to-day things this and that blah 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 like i have no problems being what happened happened in the past i barely ever think about it unless i'm asked questions about it i have no right. problem talking about it and things I want in the future, I will plan to make sure those things happen as best I can. And take initiative on a daily basis to yeah. move the ball. Mm-hmm. But past that, I'm right here right now all the time. That's a- actualized. Mm-hmm. Like it is easy for me to just turn those parts of my brain off. Or, or I don't know if you've, it's a you've, conscious... You've developed the skill. Over... Yeah, I don't know if it's a conscious decision. It's just subconsciously, I don't think about... These uh, more of the future because this, you have to plan those certain things. But, but it yes. wasn't this way early on. No, not at all. That's the thing. That's that's what I wanted to point out is that because the question that I always ask and what I would be asking if I was listening is why even do it? Like, what's the point of sobriety? What's the point of recovery? What's the is it? There's no way it feels better than the dope. It's no way it feels better than this. You know, like what's the point? Because a lot of times it's like a fish, or I mean, it's like a frog in a boiling pot where you don't aware, you're not aware of how much growth is happening and how hot the cauldron's getting, you know, and you don't even know what it's like to not have to deal with boiling water either mm-hmm. and actually take a deep breath in and realize you can do whatever the fuck you want. Yeah. Like this is life and you get to do whatever <laughs> the fuck you want. You want to run drugs for Mexicans? Do you, it. <laughs> you can do it, dude. Like, and there's so many different ways to go with it. Like, it's just, it's just... What would you say for you? When did the fear drop that you were going to use again? And then and then it became that you wanted to do this because of what this does for you. I would say pretty early on, maybe 3 or 4 months in, like I was I was pretty convinced like So, and I'll I'll explain kind of what I'm talking about and you heard me talk about it a little bit yesterday again is um I, when I got sober, like I made a mental, like a hard mental decision that would never be broken. No matter what happens, I'm not going to use. So early on, a couple months in, like, yeah, like you, I wasn't good at staying in the present. I was, you know, my past is going to fucking haunt me. I have these felony charges. Like, how am I going to get other jobs? You know what I'm saying? Like Mm -hmm. worried about my past, worried about how it's going to affect my future, like all that kind of stuff. And you know, you're, you're doing that and the, the cravings come. You're thinking like, oh, I'm just going to do this, blah, blah, blah. I was very active. And if I have a craving, I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to let people know, you know, all this stuff. But after a couple months, like, I was like, I was able to realize and, and put into actual thought, none of that will ever make, ever, under any circumstance, make your current situation better. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, if yeah. you smoke some some ice right now, yeah. your records are gonna get cleaned up. Like, that's oh, not gonna happen. Never. You know what if, I'm saying? If so I I'm... take a little toot of anything, I, I will end up needing <laughs> shit constantly. Yeah. So I was scallywag again. I was able to make that connection and just realize on a, like a on a very black and white scale, the the the, the hardest decision that you could make that just it never goes away. Like in my mind, over seven years. Just no matter what happens, because I've been through shitty situations over seven years. Yeah. You know, no matter what happens, you're, I'm just not going to do drugs or drink or whatever. Like it's just, I'm just not going to do it. And I'm and and nowadays it's easy. Like it, like I said, the cravings and things like that are so few and far between that it rarely ever happens. But if it does, I'm like mm, whatever. 
And I'm just don't. I just drop it like it never even happened in the first place. Mm. So, I mean, over, over years, but after three or four months, I was pretty confident that I would not use. So, the fear of... Am I going to relapse? So I had a I had a spiritual experience a year and a half in, and I realized like I was just like you. I was like, well, for me it was like I know I know I'm gonna use. So that's why I did everything. Anything anyone told me to do, I did it because I knew I was gonna use. I was like, I'm gonna get fucked up. Like just I'm, as powerful. Just as powerful, but yeah, just the other side of it. Yeah. I just knew I was gonna use, so I did everything against. It. I was like, fuck that. Year and a half in, I had a spiritual experience, and I realized. I'm never going to use again. It's not going to happen. Like I just, I'm not a, it's just, it, it left, it left. I was like, this is, and I remember sharing about it at meetings and people would come up to me afterwards and say they were praying for me. I was just trying to keep it real with where I was at. I was like, I'm not going to use again. And so, cause this weird thing happened to me at the, and now I, I, I just know. So and, I do, I do a similar thing. So like I, I know that I'm not going to use, I guess. Uh, and I like early on, even up to like a year and a half, two years almost, like people would be like, Oh, how much time do you have? And I used to know, like, the you know, I have this many days, this many seconds, whatever, you know, time, like one year, three months type deal, uh-huh. you know. And I like you asked me yesterday, What's your sobriety date? And I was like, August 2nd or 3rd, like one of those two yeah, days, yeah. like it kind of fades away. But it's like, you know, you ask, like, How much time do you have? And I'm like, Seven years. Okay, well, technically, I don't have seven years until August. But it's like I'm comfortable saying I have seven years because I don't think I'm going to use it until August. I, I said seven years too, and I'm not there either. I was yeah. closest so, to seven than six. Yeah, so exactly. Like, so when you're saying that, like I I used to be like, I could get high tomorrow. So that's all the time that I have. <laughs> you know what I'm and saying? I, and I used to say, and I still do, I still like, I'm, I've got today. Like I like to say it just because existentially it's true. <laughs> and like that's true. philosophically <laughs> philosophically it's absolutely true all we have is right now so that's true but I mean there was a point in time where I was like okay I know I'm gonna get to that point I know I will that's the same thing yeah it's so true it's like so I just I'm seven years I got seven years you know more like six and a half but I know I'm gonna get seven yeah, years I mean, so it's like I got seven years damn you know man. so you you think of it like that and it's just subconscious it flies out of my mouth because I already know I'm gonna do it you know, like it used to be like, oh, he gets his year chip next week. Like, hold, hang in there. You know, two years, it was like, oh, I'm going to get two years. Like, I'm comfortable <laughs> saying that. Yeah. You know, three years, it's like, oh. Dude, it's a, it's a totally different perspective when someone picks up a year chip and instead of being like, oh, what's going to happen now? It's like, what about if you're like, oh, well, I'm going to go for two. Yeah. Two's going to happen. Two, yeah. Yeah. It's a different perspective. Yeah. So, you know, when you're talking about, you know that kind of stuff it's just you subconsciously after a, a period of time like I if I because I've played this out with sponsees too because I've had sponsees like well how do you know you're gonna get seven years and I'm like okay that's a fair question yeah <laughs> that's fair and I'm like okay you I know realistic yeah but like real, I would die sober technically I would get as many years as I wanted sober <laughs> if I died <laughs> yeah you know but it's like okay you know, the way I explained it to him was like, in my mind, and I can't guarantee it, but my logic behind it is if I was going to relapse, something would happen months and months and months prior to an actual relapse. Does that make sense? Like something yeah. bad happens, you don't handle it well, you continue to not handle it well, and then you relapse. Absolutely. So if I, like, if I had that happen today, I still think I would get seven years. 
but it's just how much longer. And it could be two, three, four more years. But eventually, like if you quit doing all the stuff and it just goes away one at a time, who's and I and I'm complete. Let's say I've completely removed myself from any form of recovery at all. Eventually, I would probably relapse. I'm not to say that I would, but I probably would. Right. You know. Which is the with the interesting adaptability perspective of this program is essentially you're you want to do the things you do every day. Yeah. So it's it's almost a non-issue. Well, I take that back. Sometimes I don't. Yeah. Like a gratitude list every fucking day. <laughs> I know. I can't do that. <laughs> I have every a hard enough time just opening up the big book day, at night dude. to read a paragraph. I I'm, lucky, do... I'm lucky if 60% of the time I'm looking forward to do my gratitude list. And most of the time, it's so... Because I'm like, I'm grateful for so many things, my sponsor is going to be impressed. It's not even about the recovery. <laughs> <laughs> It's not even about the recovery. It's like this email is about to be so fire. He's going to, you know, give me mad props for all my <laughs> gratitude. So, and then there's a lot of times where I'm like, I am grateful that I am alive. Send. Boom. You know, I mean, it is yeah. what it is. It's just part of the routine. So I do it, hmm. you know, but yeah. Th- do you want to do it all the time? Still all the time? No. It's the answer. So this has been the shit, dude. Thank you so much for doing this. Absolutely. I want to get, and this is, you know, I introduced this, we explore our thoughts, ideas, emotions, and pursuing a dream, or living a dream, or wanting to figure out what our dreams are. So, what's your vision for yourself now? I know we got filmmaking on the horizon. We do have filmmaking on the horizon, that's the next venture. So, kind of, what I've been doing over the past, like, four years is trying to find that thing that I just want to do it, even if I'm not getting paid for it, you know, whatever it is, like hop out of bed, just I want to be there now. I will, I will get speeding tickets on my way there so I can get there sooner. You know and what then I'm saying? And you're happy because you're working on it when you're yeah. there. Yeah. And and, and I'm, I'm looking for that thing now. Not that I haven't explored multiple avenues that have made me happy. Yeah, we got a YouTube channel. Yeah, we got a YouTube D- channel. D&D. Dungeons and Dragons. Um, I've worked for a doctor's office. I've worked at uh, machine shops. I've done a bunch of different stuff. But it is a process because you have to do it long enough to learn it to know if that's the if thing. It's a thing or not, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, over four or five years, I've been able to explore like three avenues thoroughly. Um, so, you know, it's still a working process. Um, we'll see what happens with the filmmaking stuff. I don't start for about another month. Uh, and I'll start school in filmmaking. And but that's what you've got in your heart right now to pursue. Yes. You want to see where this avenue leads. Mm-hmm. Is this the first time you've you've put your focus on a creative endeavor like this? Yes. Where you say, career-wise, this is something I'd like to explore. Um, not career-wise. So this will be the third career-wise. When you say creative, I'm thinking, like, I get to be a part of the creation of a product. So at a doctor's office, you're doing a specific job. At a machine shop, you're doing a specific job. And then now filmmaking, I consider to be like a creative job. But are you talking about, when you say filmmaking, are you talking about cinematography? Are you talking about handling booms, stagehands? It's everything. The only thing it's not part of is directing. So the school You don't want to direct? No, the only the, uh, not that I wouldn't want to direct, but the school that I am going to. Uh-huh. The first class you take introduces you to everything in film. Okay. 
editing, After, sound product, sound design. Yep. Booms, cameraman, whatever you want to do. So you're not even you're not even sure which part of filmmaking you want. That is part of the reason I chose this specific program. Okay. Is because it will introduce me to everything uh-huh. for about six months. Okay. And then after the six months, you get to decide what you want to specialize and get your certification in. Okay. Well, right now, what is it, what do you think it'll be? Probably more of the equipment, like production side of things. Right. So probably like uh, rigging for cameras, things like that. Um, I've always, I like working on things mechanically inclined. I like work on cars. I like to, you know, I work at a machine shop now. I thought that would be the thing. You know, I like to work on things. And you love movies. I absolutely love movies. It's ingrained in my being. Same here. Yeah. So, you know, movies and I've, and I, like I've said, I've had hobbies of, you know, small videos like YouTube and things like that. So it's just something I, and even as a kid, we bust out the camera recorder and, you know, make silly little videos when we were in like elementary school, middle school, stuff like that. So it's been around forever and I always enjoy doing it. So I'm like, let's see what it's like on a professional level. Right now, if tomorrow was the day. Mm-hmm. That you get to wake up excited to do. What are you doing? Say you know everything. That's a harder question. I know. Probably, this is going to be a very hard left turn. You can do whatever you want, yeah. I'd probably be breeding dogs. Really? Yeah. So you'd wake up in the morning to a dog that just had a litter. Or a large amount of dogs that have multiple litters. And you're you're waking up to take care of them? Take care of all the dogs, train the dogs, do everything with the dogs. I love dogs. Yeah. Absolutely love dogs. And I know that I already love dogs. Yeah. Like, I know that. Now, I've never thought of or had the means to start something like that yet. But if I could get there and I... And it just... The, the what do you want the the end all be all answer right now today? You're breeding. I'm dogs. breeding dogs. Why why aren't you doing that? Why aren't you focusing? Why not? Why aren't you going to a trade school for veterinary or anything that would help with that? So, dogs because it's something I've already discovered that I like. I haven't discovered yet if I would like having that many dogs. So there still is an unknown. Right. I mean, I mean, there's a lot of unknown. There's a lot of unknown. There's a lot of, if you wanted to do things like that, there's a huge financial commitment. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things that have stopped me from doing that um, right now. So part of the answer is I'm taking out of, out of the equation financial commitments. I am taking out of the equation my certain abilities and knowledge that I have to do things. Um, there's a lot of things I don't know don't, how to do. But with. don't you think that if you made the decision to do it, people would show up to help? Probably yes. And the the way I go about finding these these things and these processes, how is this going to be what I want to do when I wake up in the morning? All that stuff being said, to get there appropriately, 
you need to, and we kind of talked about this yesterday too, where it was like, okay, now I want to be a machinist. Well, you can't quit working at the doctor's office just yet. Yeah. Like you got to go to school. You got to do this. You got to do that. So when you, you make the decision, your bills. Yeah. So when you make the decision, I'm not going to work as an EKG technician anymore. I'm going to, I'm going to try doing some machine work. It took me about a year to get there. Okay. So, so this is what, okay. So this is, it's making sense to me. So you're moving into the filmmaking because you now know that this is something that you could do to make money that you would enjoy doing to make money to essentially facilitate your hobby, mm-hmm. hobbies or your lifestyle. Mm-hmm. But in a perfect world, you would wake up with a kennel full of dogs, not even a kennel, a farm or a big place full of animals yeah, that absolutely. you're just fucking chilling with and raising and giving them to good families. and. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 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 really cool. It's a, that's why I said it's a very this is a very hard question. Yeah, but it's it's cool because my my I my brain works. I never think my brain works the opposite way. So like I'm always like, if I know what I want to do, that's what I need to do because I always think about the fact that I'm gonna die. So I'm a realist. So yeah, I'm not. You are. So I'm a that's realist. So I'm cool. like, okay, how do you accomplish it? Yeah. Like you have to set the small goals to get to the big one. Yeah. And I'm very, very good at knocking them out one by one. It is a process and it takes time. Right. But if I'm like, I want to breed dogs, I'm so impulsive and I am like an all, I'm, I'm, I'm all in or all out kind of yeah. person. So if I had made the decision, like I'm going to just breed dogs tomorrow and just take what money I have, do all this stuff, and I'm I'm taking my dog to go get bread over here, and in a couple months I'll have a litter of puppies and I can start this thing. Uh-huh. My mind is immediately like, how are you going to pay for all this? How are you going to support stuff? It's going to take six to eight months before you can even sell one dog. Right. And then you only have one dog. That's one litter. That's a couple thousand dollars. <laughs> that's not going to work. So yeah. when I do it, it will over. I will have put in place everything I need to have all the money up front. I now overnight I will own like ten dogs. And there's no and stress. there's no stress, bro. That's fucking dope. Damn, that's fucking dope, dude. But it takes two years to make it happen. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you're aware of the passing of time, which is something I struggle with. Mm-hmm. Damn, dude, that's awesome. So when I do it. It's it's happening like full all the way. Man, well this has been the shit, dude. I think that's it, dude. I think uh I think we're just going to have to check in. Yeah. We'll have to do absolutely. another one. Absolutely. Because uh this is awesome, dude. Uh is there anything that you'd like to to sh- talk about or say anything before we close up? I mean, people will be listening to it. There could be somebody who's struggling, there could be somebody who who Who's doing well? Your mom? I don't know. Whoever could be listening. Yeah. So the um, the big message that I would want—it's not even really a big message. I'm big on making complex things simple. Okay. Which simple things are not simple. But at the end of the day, and I'll I'll give the message to this can be long term sobriety. This can be new people in sobriety no matter what and it's something i do myself don't use it will not make anything better it's never going to make any situation better and the easiest the simplest thing to say because i could talk about this forever is just don't don't use i know that's that's kind of a a trick question or answer but don't use it sounds simple right 
Just what, don't use. What would you say to someone who's trying to make sense of who they are and what they want to do with their lives? Like maybe they've been in for a little bit and they're like, this can't just be it. You know, like all of a sudden I want to enter the normal world, but who, what do I, who am I and what should I do? So I have a process for that. Uh -huh. Um, it may not work for everybody. It worked for me. Um, it took a lot of research. It took a lot of self-seeking. You will have to make time because you can't really dive into something like that on just a minute or two. Um, so, and this is for the other person, their yeah. time, not my time. And this is also for like anybody, addict, alcoholic, doesn't Any, matter, a human being. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You'll have to do some soul searching on what it is you like. Where I started was hobbies and things I already knew I liked. You research them and you write down a list of things you would want to do with your life. It doesn't have to be job related. It could be like, you know, I want to go to every continent on the planet and just experience the world. Mm -hmm. You know? The next step is how how are you going to make it happen? So you write the thing. You just so let you, your brains. Do you let your imagination yeah. run wild? You got to have a, the first writing. part. The first part is you have a have to have a conversation with yourself. Okay. To decide is this going to be what type of goal am I trying to accomplish or what kind of what is the dream and what yeah what kind of life is this do I financial want? is this live life is this you know, what, what spiritual, what, what is my goal? What is my dream? What am I trying to accomplish? So you can probably break that down into like six or seven categories and that would cover everything. Right. Um, and then you pick the category. What is the, what, which category does it tie to? This is kind of like fears. So it's like, okay, I'm afraid of this. What is, what is the cause of, of this fear? So it's a similar like that, but it's, we're talking about a dream here, right? Yeah, well, so yeah. you're trying to boil it down to the least amount of options as possible. Okay. So you boil it down. Okay, let's say, for instance, it's financial. Mm -hmm. I want to get X amount of dollars or have X job, right? So you write that down. Once you have gotten to your topic or your choice, uh, you are now going to look at all the things that are involved with that. Okay, uh, financial. What kind of jobs? Then you start looking at jobs. What kind of jobs make that kind of money? Make a list of those. Then... What out of that list of what kind of jobs make the amount of money I'm trying to make, if this is a financial dream or goal, um, what kind of jobs would I be interested in out of those? And you just narrow it down and you narrow it down and you narrow it down until you pick one. Now, this requires to thoroughly go through this, requires a lot of research and a lot of time spent just trying breaking to figure it, it down, and breaking yeah. it down. And then once you find out what it is, you find the thing that's going to take you to the promised land. Begin the, or take the first step towards it. Yeah, you got to say, okay, how, say you want to be a doctor. Okay. What's the first step in being a doctor? Got to go to school. What doctors, what schools will give me a doctorate? And pick one. And you got to start. Hmm. You have to, you can't rest on your laurels. You got to, it's action. So Without like, action, it never happens. So the idea would be like if I want to make $120,000 a year, mm -hmm. I pick that number. That's what I want to make. Then I have to brainstorm and think about all jobs that make that type of money, mm -hmm. right? 
or even if I'm me, what kind of jobs would I want to do? And do mm-hmm. those jobs align with $120,000 a year? Correct. That's and then the first you, step. You break it down and just keep breaking it down until you figure out the action step, essentially. Yep. But the first action step is getting with yourself and really thinking about these things. In your, in your mind. I mean, and writing these things out. A lot of people don't know the answer. Yeah, I mean, it's that's what's I think is so important about isolating it to the most simple thing is you learn through taking action. Yep. You learn through doing it. Which I have done myself. Yeah. You know, oh, machinist, that could be it. Well, it's not it. Now I'm working on the next thing. You know, and I'm just now at the first action step of doing the next thing. Right. So it's like, okay, it is so easy to get comfortable yeah, you want all these things you daydream. I want Lamborghinis. I want Ferraris. I want a big house. I want to make X amount of dollars. But you know, in the back of your mind, like I'm comfortable here. I make enough money to live and support myself and have a little bit of fun every now and then, right? Right. It is very easy to just get comfortable there and not push yourself to go past it. Right. That's the that's the trick. Like, you know, I spent... Before I started doing all this stuff, I spent seven years at the doctor's office doing EKG stuff. And two years in, I could have told you that's not what I wanted to do. So I just hung around for five years because it was the I was just easy you were to do. Comfortable, it. yeah. So that's the hard part. But once I was aware of that's what I did, it became the after the first time, which the first time didn't even have the end result I wanted. Not that I didn't enjoy going to a machine shop. In fact, I'm still there right now, and I still enjoy it right now. But it's like, okay, well, I, I know that that's not the one. So you don't noticed, waste more you time. You quicker, yeah. Way faster. Yeah, this everything about this life that we get to have, which is a once-in-a-shot opportunity, is expiration. We, gotta, we don't know what we want, but we have to be willing to figure it out. Some people spend their whole life trying to figure that out. And 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 if you can and it do never it, happens. If you could do it with a smile, you've danced through life. You know, absolutely. I guarantee you, you will run into experiences and things that have happened along that process. Even if you get to the end and die and never found that you just never found a thing that you just jumped out of bed. It's like the gratitude list. I am so happy that I do them, uh, but there's days where I'm like, this is, I don't want to do this. Hmm. So even if I was the the, the answer to the question is. Even if I am have a kennel full of dogs and I'm doing the dog thing, right? I'm living the fucking dream, right? You're going to have those days where you're like, this is bullshit. Yeah. You know? I mean, it's 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 not avoidable. It happened to me last week for about 48 hours. Yeah. So, it's it's not avoidable. It's going to happen. Yeah. It's just make, it the, make the best of it as you can. I mean, you'd make yourself as happy as possible. And be aware of how you're feeling. Imagine if you could have been aware earlier than five years. Like, be aware of how you're feeling and be willing to, to take initiative to begin the next journey. Like, this is I the thing. I wish I did. I'm learning this <laughs> right now, dude. Like... After this, earlier this week with the depressed state that I went through, it was like, you know what? You're meditated the fuck out. You've got this relationship with the power of your misunderstanding. You spent a month meditating in your backyard. You fucking, you're, you're, you're fucking Jesus out, dude. Like you got your fucking God. You're good. Consciously make a decision now. Let's get the fucking, let's get the wheels moving, dude. Let's start yeah. churning the engine. And it was like, I came out of that depressive state and I'm like, and luckily things showed up in my in my view of basically saying like do it go for it go for it go for it I'm like why am I overthinking shit all the time I need to just be ripping it and it's like okay so that's what I've been doing and it's just been a few days but I'm I, I feel like I'm, I'm I got grease around my wheels in a way 
that hasn't, you know, I don't know. It's just, I don't want to spend any more time overthinking whether or not something will fit into my conception of where I need to be. I need to let go of that and just go, just do what wants to happen. Like so in your I, mind, if you I have, say this to a lot of people, yeah, that you, as in yourself or me, needs to be the unstoppable force in the in your life. So when you, because people are, especially with my background, you're telling me like I can just go get a machine job with a state trafficking fucking charge. Like people tell me no all the time, and you just can't stop. Like you can you can make it happen. It it can happen. It just takes persistence and no one else is going to do it for you. Like people have, people might help you get there, but without you, it's never going to happen. So if you are not your own unstoppable force, shit might not happen for you. Cause sometimes it's hard out there. You know what I'm saying? Dude, fuck yeah, bro. Yeah, dude. Hashtag be somebody, motherfucker, dude. True gator shit. <laughs> for real, dude. Man, spike a five, dude. Hell yeah, dude. Hell yeah. Thanks for doing this, man. And we'll we'll check in later, dude. Absolutely. Let's do, let's do another one. Absolutely. You ain't never thought a motherfucker would get in the beat. They get it so good with a briefcase. I'm the kind of motherfucker that lets you in and kills you all smile with a brief taste. People say I got potential. This is simply fundamental. When I truly step up on this beat, you ain't even got a motherfucking chance like a spindle. Then I stay real with myself. I put in the time and the heart and the effort. So when I say I am a beast, I put the motherfucking time to endeavor. Epitome of the word realness. Most people can't even appeal this. You can't even comprehend what the deal is. I've been taking over time when I feel this. Let me get a spot with it. The rock with it. The whole damn gang up a cock in it. The jock with it. The ladies they flock to it. Goddamn beast won't put a sock in it. You ain't even got a shot to give. I'm the motherfucking taking up a block with this. People thinking they got a motherfucking degree with it. You ain't even got a motherfucking GED. Damn, okay. I be the motherfucker taking names up. Damn, okay. I be the motherfucker shooting names up. Saying you had me all figured out. Might wanna switch your whole game up. Saying you know what a trigger bell. Did this a minute away, shut. Damn, okay. I be the motherfucker taking names up. Damn, okay. I be the motherfucker shooting names up. Saying you had me all figured out. Might wanna switch your whole game up. Saying you know what a trigger bell. Did this a minute away, shut. Damn, okay. I rip dope shit when I parlay. I give no shits with that broad. Say a bus four clips in that tar J Be like, give me a minute You ain't got no time for this dope game I got more time to go catch fame I spit dope rhymes when I catch flame Be like, god damn You ain't never seen a motherfucker Be coming up on a beat like a beast Never thought that I would've had a chance To take this shit like new kid on the block now Man, you can't even fucking deny this now Cause I flip switch, this shit's wild I got hot flow and this shit's mine Be like, yeah, okay, let me go I don't take names I got strong ties to this rap game I got a lost mom and I'm insane Better never let me get ahead with this If I get a shot, man I'm wrong with this. People thinking I only got a fucking degree with it, man. You know I got a motherfucking PhD with it. Damn, okay. I be the motherfucker taking names up. Damn, okay. I be the motherfucker shooting names up. Saying you had me all figured out. Might wanna switch your whole game up. Saying you know what a trigger bell. Did this a minute away, shut. Damn, okay. I be the motherfucker taking names up. Damn, okay. I be the motherfucker shooting names up. Saying you had me all figured out. Might wanna switch your whole game up. Saying you know what a trigger bell. Did this a minute away, shut. Thank you.